Welcome to the Screamcast episode 97. I am Sean DeRager and with me is BJ Colangelo. Oh, hello. Brad ditched us to spend some time with his lady. That's it's fair. It's International Women's Day, so uh Totally. <laughs> so, good ups on you, Brad. Yep, yep. Uh, meanwhile I told my wife to go in the other room and watch Felicity. So I, I mean, am the if, asshole. If anyone learned anything from Deadpool, it's gonna be a fun night for all. <laughs> uh so he um we him and I interviewed Pete Toombs from Mondo Macabro, and we'll be getting that in just a little bit, uh talking about uh lizard in a woman's skin so stay tuned for that but first bj we got to get to what's on our doorstep holy cow i almost forgot we'll get the door And since Brad's not here, this may be a short and sweet. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's going to be 35 seconds long. (laughs) Um, So I have two. Um, I'll start with the one that um, is a little bit easier to find. I checked out Helen Back. Um, It's on Netflix. And it is the animated... um, I don't know. It's very much like the... It's like Paranorman, but for adults. Right. It's stop motion. Um, it's an adult fantasy comedy. And uh, it's the, vo- the voice cast in it is out of control. It's like Nick Swardson, uh, Mila Kunis, Bob Odenkirk, TJ Miller, uh, Susan Sarandon, Dana McBride, Rob Riggle. Uh, God, who else is in it? Um, there's just people all it's over like the place. Everyone. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, oh, Jennifer Coolidge is it, like she has a bit, bit role in it. Uh, H. John Benjamin does as well. Um, it is fun, but it's also, it seems like they got all of these really talented people all in one room and said, well, let's just hope for the best. Um, it's, it's a film that I think works a lot better as a premise and not necessarily as a story. Um, it seems like there, a lot of the jokes are funny. They just don't necessarily fit in the world that they've shaped. The animation is fantastic. It's really, really well done. Um, this just, the story isn't that great. Um, basically it, it follows a, you know, a guy who breaks a, uh, like an, an oath, a blood oath, uh, on the book of Satan. And then he gets taken out of hell and his buddies have to go down to hell and, you know, rescue him. That's, that's the loose plot of it. Um, but it's just riddled with a bunch of like really inappropriate jokes, which are, they're all funny. They just don't necessarily fit in kind of this film. Um, I definitely would recommend it. I always recommend any sort of kind of stop motion or animation because it's an art form that I don't want to ever die out. Mm-hmm. And the only way to keep it going is if we keep supporting it. Um, I think it was a very, very good effort by all of those that were involved. Uh, it's a, uh, it's directed by uh, one of the guys, uh, Tom Gian- Giannis. I'm sorry for butchering your name. Um, I know that he he worked on like Sarah Silverman, Jesus is Magic, and uh, Half My Face, to, and like the Tenacious D show, and uh, Nick Swardson's Pretend Time. So he's more of kind of like a sketch comedy guy, which I think Helen Beck would have worked better as. Right. If maybe, it was maybe got stretched. Yeah. Into a feature length probably was, you know, not the best choice. 
Yeah, I, I think that it would have been much better suited if it would have been um, like, a, like a robot chicken style show, which I believe the people who do the robot chicken um, effects are the people that made it. So that makes a lot of sense to me. But I think that it would have, it would have been much, much better suited to be, a, you know, half hour increments of, you know, these guys in hell trying to get their friend back on Adult Swim. That that mm. would have been the smarter choice. But that's not how it went down. <laughs> um, so we have Helen back. Uh, check it out. Uh, don't be, you know, confused by the animation. This is not a kid's movie. So don't watch it with the children. Yeah, there's um, another one coming out with Seth Rogen. The, he, Seth Rogen did a uh, stop motion. Of course he did. I don't know which one that with, one is. With uh, it, they're all like it's food. <laughs> There's like, like a hot are, dog. Are they are they food or is it about food? They're food, like food characters. Like the girl is a hot dog bun and the guy is a hot dog. Of course. Oh, it's Where's Wally? Is it That's Where's Wally? What it is. Yeah, Where's Wally? It's um their chil- children's books. Um, no, no, no. This is an adult. This is an adult stop Oh, they're motion. doing an adult one? I forget the name of it. <laughs> Why did I say Where's Wally? They're doing Where's Waldo. My brain is no, that was... gone. No, they're doing, he's doing the Where's Waldo film. Um, sorry. Uh, no, I didn't know he was doing an adult stop motion. That's... Yeah, I can't, I can't remember huh. what the heck it is. And I just saw a picture of it. I, all, all it was was a bunch of food products standing in line. Oh, it's called Sausage Party. Of fucking course it is. <laughs> oh god. We'll see how that goes. This is the kind of great, as a parent, this is the kind title. of stuff that like terrifies me. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh god. Like with Helen back, which my kids, because you know they see me watching this kind of stuff, and to them, oh well, this is animated, so this is fun. I, I can totally see them grabbing that by mistake. Uh, and then sausage party. It's a bunch of fun looking uh, food characters. You know, a bagel, a hot dog, a hot dog bun. Well, just, you know, parent your kid and <laughs> do what you got to do. And I don't think, I don't think they'll find it. I mean, they have the kids, the kids locks on Netflix for a reason. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so make sure Which you I, I, I lock, I lock the shit down. <laughs> yeah, you don't need, they don't need to know the things that get suggested for you. No. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I saw Helen back, um, but the one that I am super excited to talk about, and if you haven't seen it, I'm going to be bummed, uh, but I saw Dan O'Bannon's The Resurrected, uh, also I, known as The Ancestor or Sh- or uh, Shatterbrain. It's on my list. I got the imported Blu-ray, Oh, and my it's like goodness. sitting right here staring at me, that telling me to watch it. So first things first. Dual role Chris Sarandon. Ah. So <laughs> y'all go. know how I feel about that. <laughs> um, that, oh man, the, the, the emotions I felt. <laughs> um, no, I, I was gifted uh, the resurrected for Valentine's Day. Um, and I got a DVD of it. So it's not even like the, the weird foreign Blu-ray. I got the out of print DVD as wow. a gift. I mean, this foreign Blu-ray is pretty sexy though. It's a big I box too. It right? probably is. And I don't like big boxes cause they're, you know, they're taller than the Blu-ray, but in this case, yeah, it's, they so, don't fit it's anything. so pretty that I, I give it a pass. <laughs> well, the DVD, uh, was very, very unexpected to get. Nice. The Resurrected is 
it hits that sweet spot of all of the weird late night films that I watched that I shouldn't have been watching <laughs> when I was a kid because we all forget I had neglectful parents. I watched whatever the fuck I wanted. Um, you know, it starts off as kind of this sort of office drama where everything's kind of sleazy and silk stockings feeling. And then it turns into a Dan O'Bannon film and there's weird stop motion. There's like over the top gore and creature effects. And it just goes fucking haywire. There's a revolutionary war reenactment in the middle of it. It's bonkers, but it is so, it's so fun and it completely emulates that early 90s style of filmmaking when they were trying so desperately to not be making a slasher film mm-hmm. where everything was still really sleazy but was trying really hard to be a high art film. It falls in that kind of window. Um, it's, it's based on the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft novella, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, which, you know, if I don't know if you've ever read that before, but it's... It's one of Lovecraft's weirder stories. Um, so, you know, seeing it as a film is is always an exciting thing. I, I love seeing the different... Lovecraft's like horror Shakespeare to me, where the different interpretations and different stylized ways of retelling his stories is what's most, interested, most interesting to mm-hmm. me. Um, and this was, you know, definitely one of them because it throws it into that beautiful 90s style where everybody has the uh the the glass paneled windows with the uh the bright blue on the other end so everything looks like a checkerboard uh but it's it's a lot of fun i don't know what the fucking voices that chris sarandon is using in this movie but i've never heard it before <laughs> and it's great it's so <laughs> great so um, I watched it, that and Helen back in the same night. So I had Susan Sarandon first and then I had Christopher Sarandon. And nice. Chris Sarandon is still my favorite. Also, I'm not <laughs> sure if you heard that, but someone is yelling outside my house. I did not hear it. Your new phone is paying off. Oh, thank God. Born hood, stay hood. Someone's out there screaming. So my apologies about that. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that's what's on my doorstep, um, of the two. I highly, highly recommend the resurrected. It's not that easy to find, but if you find it, you buy it and you watch it and you love it. Yes. I mean, Brad basically sent me a text and said the resurrected, uh, German box buy it. And it was like 40 bucks worth it. But he said it was worth it. So I trusted him on it and I was like, you better be right. I've been trying to uh, get it out of Zach how much he paid for this Valentine's Day gift and he won't tell me. So, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, these it's things the- are hard to find, but stuff like this, I'm surprised that, that the resurrected isn't isn't out, you know. So yeah, I don't those, know who it. who has the rights to it. Especially you you think that it would have done something, especially since Dan O'Bannon has now passed. Mm-hmm. Um usually when somebody passes everybody tries to scoop up their shit and sell it and this didn't get sold like that so i don't know who has control of it i don't know it's an mgm title so oh well so it's up for bid for sure well the whole mgm catalog is people are bidding on so well it looks like i'm gonna have to start some obnoxious tweet campaign to get that a proper release and it'll be kino or screen hopefully screen factory or uh, what other companies are companies are touching MGM films these days? Um, 
Arrow. Well, if it's if it's Scream Factory, I will fly out there and interview Chris Sarandon for you, <laughs> free of charge. I will pay for my own logic. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, that was my doorstep. Okay. What did you see? I uh, I got a package from Mill Creek. They were kind enough to send me a few review copies. They got a new uh, a public a new publicist person. Very nice. And um, and they because before they were like, well, you know. You only focus on horror, so we're not really going to send you a whole lot, you know. But um, they've been very kind to um, ask me what releases will fit with the show and the website. So um, they sent me – there's a couple more I'll be talking about. I'll be talking about uh, My Boyfriend's Back Here within the next couple weeks. Hell yeah. um, My Science Project is on deck. But uh, the first thing that I watched – that I was super curious about was is a 2003 miniseries by Hallmark, uh, an, a yet another take on Frankenstein. And there's been so many takes on Frankenstein. I mean, in fact, I think this last week uh, a new film came out. You know, a new Frankenstein film came out that is apparently pretty good. I guess um, another one. Yeah. Well, it was. It's um. It was. It came out in the UK first. And then it's out here. It's out here, but it's a modern take on on Frankenstein. Is the one that's in stores right now, bare bones disc. But so, I mean, this is it's just crazy how many adaptations of Frankenstein there are. And this one, since it's a Hallmark film, they're, they're the one they're claiming that this is the closest to the original book than anything else that's ever been adapted. Yeah, because nothing's been anywhere near it. <laughs> no, um, and it stars Luke Goss as Frankenstein's monster. Uh, William William Hurt is in it, uh, and then Donald Sutherland is in it as in as kind of a bookend character because it opens up in Antarctica somewhere. It's some frozen body of water where there's a ship stuck, and he's a ship captain. He basically runs into uh, stuff goes down, and he runs into Doctor Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein, played by is it Alec Newman, who I don't I'm not really familiar with anything he's been in. Hmm. Yeah, I'd have to look him up. The name sounds familiar, but it's not ringing a bell. IMDb is failing me. It just shows the it just shows the names and not what anyone plays, <laughs> except for Will, William Hurt. But uh, so Donald Sutherland is great. I mean, he's you know, it, it, so it's kind of told in flashback, and Victor Frankenstein is telling you know uh, Donald Sutherland's character about what went down. Um, production value is pretty high for a Hallmark film. This is back in two thousand three, two thousand four. And I think in 2004, USA Channel had a TV movie based on a, a Dean Koontz <laughs> adaptation of Frankenstein. So it was a, it's just <gasps> weird. Wait, is this the one that has Parker Posey in it? This is not the one with Parker Posey, Damn no. It. No, I, I, know I think that's the USA that's Channel si- one. Yeah, that came out the same year, and yeah. I had never seen it. But we have these, um, these like reseller shops. Uh, called the Exchange out in Ohio, and that's where I find like all, a lot of my weird stuff because a lot of times people give things up that they don't know what they have. But I saw the USA TV movie cover, and I'd never seen it, and I almost bought it, and I wish I would have because <laughs> that would have made a, a great discussion. But I did not. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that one. I mean, when I when I got this, I was kind of like, you know, I let out a sigh as I put it into my Blu-ray player, <laughs> Blu-ray player. Like, this is probably going to be bad. But the, I mean. But it's 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 pretty damn good. I was really surprised, and I like I can tell that it was kind of closer because I've read I've read the original book by Mary Shelley. 
I'd hope so because I assume that you went to high school. Yeah, did everyone in high school? Read? I, I think I read it on my own. I don't think I read it. Oh, uh, uh, ours was required really? reading. Mm-hmm. That damn required reading. But um, but I remember in the book that Frankenstein is actually pretty intelligent, and they follow that along here where he's kind of this like bastard child. You know, doesn't really know who his creator is, why he's why he's alive. It's like he's his brain's rerouting, and he's you know he's a uh, combination of all these different body parts and Luke Goss plays him pretty well. I mean, Luke Goss was in Hellboy too, so he's not, a, yeah, he's he, not, he's not he's a not bad a, actor. He's good when he's in the right role. And he's not a stranger to like these kind of oddball roles that mm-hmm. most actors would turn their nose up at. I mean, he yeah, can I, do it. Yeah. I, I really had a lot of fun with this and I liked that they played it straight and it's more played at the drama, the struggle with, you know, Victor Frankenstein and the struggle with his monster. And it's not just this, you know, it has its mo- horror moments, but it's not, you know, trying to rely fully on horror. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty damn good ad- adaptation. I was really surprised. Um, and it's only like eight bucks, like Mill Creek stuff. That's generally pretty cheap because it's bare bones, but yeah. this looks really great. It's a fantastic transfer, um, and for eight bucks, if you're interested, you know, if you're not worn out with Frankenstein adaptations, and you want to give this a shot, eight bucks is not bad to for to take a, a chance on something. I'm not sure if this is streaming anywhere, like on Netflix or whatever, but um, it's it's one of the Frankenstein flicks adaptations. I would definitely give it a shot. It's about three hours long, so it's not that bad. Split yeah, it's not terrible. Two hour and a half increments, and um, and uh, I, I would say give it a shot. I had fun with it. So, well, sweet. Yeah. Um, and that's it. I've been preparing. We're we're going to be talking to Arrow sometime. We're trying to arrange that. So I've been going through the American uh, Horror Project Blu-rays. Okay. And. I know we're going to go in depth on them later, but I got to say, uh, if you can buy the set now, I would, because it's going to sell out and you're going to kick yourself for not buying it because <laughs> it's really damn good. Uh, the movies are, um, oh, the witch, the witch who came from the sea, uh, the premonition, and then Malatesta's carnival of blood, uh, two of these films are really well done films. One of these is a whack job of a bonkers film, but it's great. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Cause we're going to be going in depth on these movies. I think with the arrow guys, uh, at some point in the future, but, um, this thing's selling, selling fast. There's a few places that have it for a decent price. I know that uh, grindhousevideo.com has it for a decent price there. Amazon's been fluctuating between like 60 and 80 bucks. Um, if you get it, if you want to get the UK version and want to wait a little bit, go to Amazon UK and order there because it's generally, it's generally going to be about 20 bucks cheaper than the US version. It's the same exact thing except on the box it has their little certification sticker or certification badge or whatever. So if that stuff annoys you, pay an extra 20 bucks and get the US version. <laughs> but uh, if you want to save money, definitely get it from Amazon UK. But it's definitely if you're if you're listening to the show and you're a fan of the movies we talk about, this thing is uh, definitely worth the money. So, 
Sweet. All right. Well, um, I want, we're going to jump into the interview with Pete Toombs from Mondo Macaro about uh, woman in a lizard skin. I always want to switch them around and say, is it lizard in a woman's skin or woman no, in a lizard woman. skin? Woman <laughs> in a lizard skin. Or no, is it lizard in a woman's skin? See, I, I guess <laughs> I get confused. And right now. Oh, it is a lizard in a woman's skin. You've been fucking me up <laughs> yeah, all day. I, I know. I know. You kept saying it and then I was, <laughs> I was double. <laughs> I was thinking to myself that I was wrong this mm-hmm. whole time, but nope, nope, you were wrong. I've been doing this for a week, and I haven't gotten it right. A lizard in a woman's... Oh, fuck. A See, lizard in a woman's skin. A lizard in a woman's skin. 1971, Lucio Fulci, and I loved this film. It was my first time watching it, and I I think this is it's probably a, now it's my... It's a fucking trip. It's my favorite Fulci film now. Really? Mm-hmm. I like how restrained, I like, I like how restrained it is. And I like that it's, cause I was introduced to batshit crazy Fulci, you know, with zombie and, and on, but this is pre crazy Fulci. And I really liked the restraint on this and, and, and the framing, but I wanted to know, uh, we'll get into that in the, in the interview with Pete, but I wanted to know BJ, like what your thoughts on a I lizard mean, in a woman's skin. I'm a big fan of any film that is going to be centered around some sex and drug orgies. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I really do like this one, but I can't think of Lizard and Woman Skin without discussing uh, the fucking dog hallucination, which has oh. scarred me for life. <laughs> um, God, if I remember correctly, that moment was kind of the the start of when, you know, filmmakers had to start proving that yeah. their their special effects were real or were special effects and not like a snuff film. Um, I want to say that was what started it, Yeah, I believe. Um, but, ugh, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's gross. Um, but no, I do, I do really like, like this one. I think I've gone on record before saying that of the two, I tend to, prefer Argento to Fulci films. Mm. Um, but uh, like I said, anything with, you know, drug induced sex orgies, I'm, I'm all about it. Um, I think we need more of it. It happened a lot in the late sixties. You saw a lot of that in these movies based in like the late sixties, early seventies. It's uh and I don't understand why that's not still a thing. It's not like people <laughs> aren't still having drug. Well, it's not as common. The, the whole thing, the whole AIDS thing happened and, well, that's true. Kinda, you know, yeah. Put a damper on that. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> Nancy Reagan. Yeah. Burn in hell, bitch. Oh, Jesus. Um, sorry. I have no chill uh, today. <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah. All right. But well, no, um, I do. I do like it, and I'm I'm bummed that I missed the interview because I'm I'm sure that it was great. Pete Pete's a great guy. I love talking to him. He's gonna be on the show more. Um, there's a few titles coming out from Mano Macabro that I think. We're going to try to lump together and get Pete back on, and uh, we'll try to work our schedules, BJ, so you are there. Beautiful. We, lo- we love talking to Pete. All right, so let's jump into this interview here about a lizard in a woman's skin with Mondo Macabro's Pete Tombs. And then we'll come back with more. Stick around.
making his return to the Screamcast is Pete Toombs from Mondo Macabro. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be back. Um, I've been digesting uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin for the past couple of days, and this is the, my first time watching this film. I'd never seen it before, and I'd heard about it. And, uh, you know, Lucio Fulci, it, it always gets thrown around whenever you bring up or whenever I'm in conversations about Fulci, but I'd never seen it. And then the first time I really heard about it was when uh, Scream Factory was going to be releasing, they were going to be slapping it on like a DVD. And then uh, people were excited that it was actually going to get some sort of release. And then they had to back out of it because I think you guys had the rights. And uh, I was, But I was excited, happy to see you guys released it on, on Blu-ray and it's restored and it's just uh Well we didn't hear anything. They just they thing. just yeah. pulled it. Was that the case, Pete? I mean, can you talk about that where they just I don't know actually what the situation was there. <laughs> um I think there was some issue around um you know this we'll get into this later I guess, but the film had a had a number of titles and I think it one of the American titles it was released under was Schizoid. Mm-hmm. And of course there's another film with that title, you know, the uh, Klaus Kinski in it. Yeah. And I'm not entirely 100% sure that um, that shout didn't didn't maybe confuse the two. I I, I don't want to say you know I, I know Cliff McWill and I, I've, well, I've known him for a long time and uh, you know I don't want to say too much because I don't really know. But I, mm-hmm. I think it may have been something about that that you know there was a mix up over the titles and the materials or something. But uh, you yeah. know uh, beyond that I I don't really know. Well, yeah, but everyone was excited. You know the thing is like everyone was excited and and then all of a sudden they it was it was gone and then. We got the announcement. Well, that you I think, guys were I think releasing it got. It. That was exciting. It got the press copies got out, but however, right, right, I don't right. think it ever got distributed. Oh, well, it was like, it, it was it was the right. It was the same film. Then was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Oh, it was. It oh, was okay, the right. That's film. interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it has. I mean, it. I mean, of course, they did the press, and then they destroyed. You know, the remaining ones, and they put. Um, what? What? Ha- oh, man, what is the name of that movie that they put on there? I can't remember, but they replaced it with another film because they released Schizoid later on with their uh, with X-Ray. I think it was that they they yes. put uh, you know That's Hospital right. Massacre. Um, right. But yeah, they just did a you know a press release. Uh, the press copies went out, and then immediately they pulled it. So the film's actually on there, but I maybe because of uh, the different titles and um, you know I'm not 100 percent sure because the last time it was released on DVD, I think was Image released it in in um over here in I think in, in it was States. media blasters maybe media blasters media blasters well it was one of those titles that seemed to got had a, a lot of releases under different titles yeah um, did so i'm not exactly sure i mean I, I could see the confusion probably especially with you know some of these european titles rights issues and who owns it and when they're expired so you know no fault there but it was uh it was actually nice to see it eventually uh you know come out in um you know on blu-ray in uh you know really really well done restoration yeah well thanks for that yeah i mean that that was the good thing i think being able to do it on blu-ray um because it had been out on on dvd before and i think there was a an issue with the um uh, there i know there is an issue with the materials available as to exactly what version um was released you know because there was bits missing and so on and i, and I know that um you know that uh, Media Blasters put it out a couple of times, maybe even three times. You know, with different um, versions, because yeah. the American version was, you know, the American cut was different from the European cut and all that kind of stuff. And um, it was it was good that we we were able to do it on Blu-ray and we were able to 
obviously in a sense take advantage of all those previous releases and try and make ours the definitive one you know the one that had all the material in it that uh, had been that was available you know that had been in all these other versions and, and try to make the sort of definitive you know kind of cut i mean there's always an issue with these things you know about what is the definitive cut and <laughs> There isn't really there, there isn't really an answer because I mean quite often I think in, in back in the day these guys would they would film the material and then it would be edited uh, in different territories in different ways you know to um, like if there was an actor that was popular in one territory you might get more of them than in some of the others you know so uh, the notion that there is one definitive final version of these films is always something that's a little bit of a, an open issue but right. you know, we were pretty you know we were pretty uh, certain that we wanted to try and put together something that was um the fullest version that we that we could manage of this film um and i think we managed it and it was good to be able to do that on blu-ray because obviously that's you know at the moment the best um sort of quality you can get so i think you know people who've got hopefully i mean people who've got the dvd will now think well you know maybe it's worth upgrading to to this one and i think it is obviously oh, yeah totally it's it's a beautiful film and that's i think what caught me off guard because i'm used to seeing the kind of zombie movie fulci i don't think i haven't seen other than i, I get all these guys mixed up um There's just no way films. to get fulci mixed up sean well, no, no, these are the, you know, <laughs> yeah, I want to say uh, Blood and Black Lace was Fulci, wasn't it? No, nah, it's Mario Bava. No. See, Ma- Bava, I, you know, but um, well, the thing once with, we get with, into kind of the the giallo kind of territory yeah. where this is somewhat considered giallo, but. Yeah, it's in that area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the imagery and, and right. you know, and, and stuff like that. But this is, this is, um this film was Fulci's like first step. Um, into kind of the horror psychological, um, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I haven't seen some of his films from the 60s, but as far as being kind of batshit crazy, this is one of the first films that I can remember Fulci doing before he actually got into horror. This is before, this is the film before he met um, uh, Dardano Sacchietti, who completely changed his career, in my opinion. Because yeah. Sacchietti, they they met in you know seventy one and started doing movies together right after this you know Torture the Dunkling, uh, Duckling the the Psychic came out and that's when Fulci's career took a different toll and I truly believe it's because of that screenwriter. You know, no, he, I, think, he was, I think you're right. I mean, although yeah. Fulci, you know, kind of began had a long career and began as a writer for for other people mostly uh, yeah. in comedies. He he was kind of someone who was. Uh, influenced by the people that he worked with, you know, the writers he worked with, and that guy definitely, you know, the, um, definitely had an effect, and, and and I think took him, you know, more into the kind, of, you know, the kind of genre horror kind of stuff, and uh, we, you know, you so say you get the zombie movies and all that kind of stuff, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people maybe were surprised when they see um, films like uh, Lizard and um, and Psych the Psychic and so on, and see that you know yeah. he, he thought he was. Um, you know, could, was was capable of subtlety. You know, which mm-hmm. I mean, is the last thing you'd throw at some of the later films he made. I mean, great though they are, you know, they're pretty in your face. You know, uh, yeah. and I think um, you know, Lizard and so on is other like, in your face moments, but um, it's kind of quite a subtle film and with a lot of different layers in it. Yeah, it was it was one of the films because I grew up on eighties Fulci. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. that's when I very first. You know, when I was a young young kid. You know, Zombie was one of the very first things I saw. And then, you know, I saw, you know, The Beyond, Enigma, Touch of Death, um, House by the Cemetery, that kind of stuff. So 
eventually when I got a hold of one of the DVDs of this, I, I didn't know what to say because it didn't feel like what I was used to. Yeah. You know, and it was before everything, before he went off the deep end making these crazy, you know, horror films. He, he just, he had this like really this murder, giallo, psychological, hypersexual movie that, you know, little old me was like, you know, too busy with my hands in my pants rather than actually paying attention <laughs> to the movie. <laughs> but, you know, you're brutally it was, honest. <laughs> it is it was a strong just one opening. of those films, uh, one of those films that actually, you know, stuck with me more than some of those others ones because it's most memorable because it is such a weird uh, film, even for Fulci. It, it's 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 a weird film, but it's on a level also of uh, – you know, it's not lost in translation like Manhattan Baby or something like that, where it's just absolutely fucking insane. It's yeah. something on lower key that, you know, kind of dives into the giallo. And even like, you know, I feel like traces of like Edgar Allan Poe in the movie as well. Like oh, kind of sure. just kind of that dark um, mystery horror storytelling well Fulci was a great reader and i mean uh you know he knew all the classic kind of horror stuff and um you know you definitely get bits of that coming out in, in all of his films i think but i mean obviously he was a huge Hitch, hitchcock fan as well and there's there's definitely there's a lot of hitchcock in this uh in this film and in fact in the film he made before which was called uh, the, the title translates one on top of the other <laughs> um, perversion story. I think mm. is another title, which was filmed in America, it's filmed in San Francisco, um, in homage to Vertigo, I guess, to Hitchcock's Vertigo, and it's got kind of a similar kind of you know some similar elements. And uh, so you know, I, I, he, he was quite a cultured guy, I think, as a filmmaker was Fulci, and I think um, you know that often gets kind of overlooked in, in some of his later films. You wouldn't necessarily see that but it's, it's definitely there yeah. in these ones. well i'm interested interested in, in finding more of these films his earlier films now because i really loved the film and it's yeah it is a, a a mystery thriller you know where this this housewife basically is you know uh accused of murder and basically the investigation you know did she do it or didn't she do it um and 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 everything and um, did she do it in a dream? And then it right, yeah, it, yeah. You know, this kind of stuff. I mean, the dream sequences are very fulci with the you know the the blowing hair, um, the the fans, obviously the handheld cameras. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is definite yeah. fulci touches to this. I mean, those, but the dream sequences, especially the one that it opens up with, is just. Uh, I mean, in, in more ways than one, just amazing. Um, yes, yes, yes. It's, a, it's an incredible way to open a film. That, yeah, and not really been beaten, I don't think. And, it, and it's it's sexual in a way, and very like erotic in a way, but not. I don't know. Very, very art. It's, a, it's, it's also it's kind beautiful. of a genre. It's also aside from comedy, it's a genre mashup mm -hmm. too. I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of you know traces of all genres in, in this film and. You know, I think that's one thing that I think this is the definitely this is the film that changed Fulci and, and made him who he became in a way. Because, I mean, his his other films, uh, some of his Westerns, I, I consider iconic. But, you know, yeah, you could yeah. watch one of his Westerns and you could watch, you know, something like The Beyond or this and you couldn't be able to put the two filmmakers together. There's not like he he he, he kind of reinvented himself when he went into horror. You know, he, he he made such a, you know, a huge impact. His whole career changed. And, you know, he never, 
really went back to um, kind of the old, you know, the old westerns and stuff. I think he made, I think he had an action movie, Contraband. That's, that's, uh, right. yeah, that's really yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he went back to that, and um, you know I think Conquest was a little batshit crazy. But other than that, I mean, he very much stayed true to horror, psychological horror, and you know got the name the God was the Godfather of Gore, right? That's it. Yeah, although yeah. I guess Herschel Gordon Lewis would probably claim that one, <laughs> <laughs> or it would be claimed yeah. on his behalf, maybe. But I think, you know, like, fortunately, like a lot of these uh, Italian filmmakers in the commercial, worked in the commercial world, um, they had to switch genres because, um, you know, the public taste moved on, you know, like, you, you know, in the early 60s, you had the peplums, you know, the historical films, and you had the westerns, and then you had the gothic horrors. Uh, and the comedies and all that kind of stuff, and I think um, you know, Fulci um, had to make what he was. Uh, you know, he was a he was a hired hand in a sense. You know, so if a producer said to him, "I want you to make this Edgar Allan Poe type film," he he'd kind of go and do it. You know, but he he definitely seemed to bring a lot of his own personality to bear in these films, um, the ones we're talking about. And I think you know, in the in the zombie films and so on, a particular side of his personality came out. I mean. Uh, you know, maybe he's rather more cynical side, you know. I think he, he was a very funny guy. I met him once many, many years ago, um, and he was a very funny guy, but very sort of cynical, you know, cynical sense of humour. And I think that's there in those zombie films. I mean, you wouldn't think of them as comedies, and they're not. But they right. do have this kind of particular, you know, kind of acerbic sort of view of humanity, which I think uh, definitely comes out. I think that was definitely him. Yeah, you know, as other you said hired, you know, that's one thing because he did those White Fang movies with Nero. Yeah, sure, but you know, you know I, which he, he I really think it was rated, after this too. He really rated those films. You know, he said that they were. You know, he he was very pr- proud of those films. You know, I think technically they were they were well made. I mean, his films were. You know, he'd been making working in film for a long, long time since the fifties. So you know, he kind of knew how to do it. He knew what he was. Uh, you know, he knew, he knew how to get the things he wanted. You know, and I, but I think the problem, <clears throat> probably for Fulci later on, was that he never really got uh, the budgets that he wanted. You know, and, and I mean, yeah. Cat and Brain and stuff like that. You know, which is kind of quite fun, but and it and, it's, and, it, and it is definitely got it's definitely funny as well. You know, a very bleak kind of sense of humour. But I mean, I don't think, and it's a great idea, of course, but I don't think he ever really had the money to make those films the way that he would have made them, say, ten years earlier. So you you kind of feel that you're making allowances for some of those early films, and I, I don't think you have to make allowances at all for the, you know, certainly not for Lizard and for all of the films during that period. I mean, the one he made after, you know, Don't Torture a Duckling, which you mentioned, which is uh, again quite a, a large budget film, I think, and as a you know, it's a really brilliant film. Well, yeah. there's there's a scene in uh, in Lizard in a Woman's Skin that I found subtly it was subtle but it was hilarious where. I think the inspector is talking to – I forget who he's talking to, but he's out of cigarettes. He's trying to get a cigarette. Oh, he, yes. He spots yeah, yeah, yeah. the cigarettes on the desk and just takes them without asking. And the <laughs> looks exchanged are just classic where the inspector gives no shits you know, and the other guy's not going to challenge him on it. <laughs> he's going to let it slide, but – I thought that was hilarious. I, I I can't remember exactly who he was talking to. But well, it's funny because it's film. a guy. It's, yeah, it's a guy called Basil Dignam, is yeah, the inspector. Okay. And he, I, you know, I don't know if he's credited on the film. I mean, when we went through this film, when I went through this film with Chris Gavin, who knows it very well and and is very good on actors and so on. Um, you know, we were very interested to spot all these kinds of quite famous English character actors. Mm-hmm. Some of whom weren't even mentioned in the uh, in the credits of the film. You know, and I think. Uh, 
there is a kind of an issue of, uh, and of course, Fulci started as a director of comedies. Um, and I think he was able to bring these little things out of actors. If the actors were good enough and were on the same wavelength as him, which those guys definitely were, he, he could just put in a little look, as you're saying, in mm-hmm. exactly in that scene where the inspector looks up and you see this kind of look of sort of withering contempt, don't you, pass across <laughs> his face. And of course, Stanley Baker, you know, is obviously a really great actor as well. And he just completely ignores that look, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He just carries on doing what he's doing. And do you remember in the same scene, the, um, they bring in a tray, someone brings in a tray of drinks. Right. And there's a, there's a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and a, and a whiskey. And the guy, whoever it is, brings the drinks and he puts them on the table with the whiskey towards the inspector, the Basil Dignam character, who very sort of angrily spins it round so that the whiskey is facing Stanley Baker. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> and that's one of the things, I think, that makes this film, uh, that lifts it, you know, makes it, one of the reasons it's lasted is that um, there's all these kinds of things that you don't expect, all these little touches, you know, that just sort of bring it to life and they bring the characters to life. And, uh, you know, and, and, and without those, it would still work as a film, but it wouldn't have this kind of uh, resonance that it has, you know? Yeah. Uh, was this uh, was this released as an English film? Because I, 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 it seems like it wasn't, you know, a strict Italian film. No, it was, was well. It was obviously it was shot mostly in uh, in in London. Right. Uh, that's another thing because it's shot at that particular time at the end of the uh, end of the sixties, very early seventies. So it's that kind of post swinging London kind of thing, you know, which was you know Kings Row, Carnaby Street, all that stuff. Um, hippies and everything, which you get a little bit of in the film. Um, so it's got very, very much uh, in a particular time in a particular place. And the cast, of course, were mostly English, and they're definitely speaking English. Mm-hmm. Um, and rarely for an Italian film, they actually dub their own voices. I mean, you probably know this: the mm-hmm. Italian films yeah. famously are shot without uh, live sound, and uh, the voices are all dubbed. Even the Italian actors, even in the Italian films, and they're dubbed very most often. They're not dubbed by the actual actors themselves. So you get this weird sort of disjunction, sort of alienation effect between the voice and the actor, which you get used to if you watch a lot of Italian films. Yeah. But in this one, that's Stanley Baker's voice. That is, you know, Basil Dignam's voice. That you know, all the all the main actors there. That you can see that their lips are moving, you know, in the same way as the as the as the voice you're hearing. In other words, it's them speaking, and it's they're speaking their actual lines. You know, I mean, there's, there's some that aren't. There's some some yeah. of the Italian, um, some of the smaller parts played by actual Italian actors probably didn't speak English and just do it in Italian, and that's dubbed. You know, but um, I I think it was definitely conceived as a film that would be sold in as an English film mm-hmm. and it would be sold in English language in America as it was and it would be released in, in the UK and so on as an English film and I guess maybe in some other territories you know still the same actually that a film in English language is, is easier to sell around the world than a film that which is say in Italian language or Spanish language and I think that was probably that was the thinking I think of the production here that let's make this film shoot it in England shoot it in London um, and we will make it an English film. You know, we'll get a lot of English actors because uh, even some of the small parts, you know, some of the sort of bit characters are, are, are English, local English actors as well, you know, speaking English. So, um, you know, they, they really worked quite hard to make this uh, work as an English language film. And this one, this one was released a little bit um, on the wider scale because – um, I think I was looking it up earlier is that it was released by AIP, 
that did a lot of um, they released a lot of films in between the fifties and and seventies and eighties. I think they went out of business in the eighties. Um, yes, yeah, so, yeah. acquired by MGM, I think. Yeah, was this was this something? Now, did you have any um, inclination of how how well this did for for audiences? Because I, I believe it was a wider release for something of this nature. Mm, yeah, in America, yeah, it it, um, it came out a couple of a couple of titles. It was Schizoid, um, as we discussed yeah. earlier, and it was also A Lizard and a Woman's Skin. It was the, the two titles. Um, and it got well reviewed. I mean, as, as far as we can see, it got reviewed in Variety and so on in the, in the trade papers. And uh, you know, they said it was a pretty, um, you know, it was it was it was a quality production and so on. And it, and it was a, you know, it was a thriller, Italian sort of style thriller and so on, but with some very you know well known names in it. Um, so I think it probably did well. I don't actually know what the what the box office figures for it were, but uh, I think I think yeah, it did pretty well. I and mean, it was obviously released in France and Spain and on all around Europe, and, and probably yeah. in in the Far East as well. But I, I don't actually know. I just like to know if this was one of Fulci's more bigger money makers, other than Zombie. Yeah, you know, I think it was. It, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it was. It's kind of hard to find, you know, box office revenue how well these films did. You know, because, I mean, it was easier to get films in theaters and, and, and stuff like that, especially, you know, 42nd Street, the Grindhouse Theaters would play a lot of this stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's kind of hard to trace back because of all those small theaters. It's not like it is today. I, I, I yeah. Was curious. I, I, I don't know how you, how you would get those. I mean, you probably could find them somewhere, the, the, the box office figures, but – um, you know, I, I, there was no TV. Well, there was TV, obviously, but but TV didn't play films like this. I mean, this film was definitely one you had to go and see in the cinema. And in the UK, it was uh, rated X, which doesn't you know doesn't really mean sort of sex or anything, but it just means that it was for adults only. You know, you had to be over sixteen, I think it was at the time, to go and see this film. Yeah. So, uh, you know, which 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 would have kind of limited its its audience, but also would have increased its audience in a funny kind of way because people wanted to go and see something that was a little bit daring and something they knew wouldn't be on television. Um, so, you know, going to the cinema was your major kind of form of uh, entertainment in those days. Yeah, I was always kind of curious of how, how many um, jobs like Fulci was offered after after this after this film. When he you know, worked with... Him... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, it was just, it was just always... A... Curiosity always peaks when you see something of this nature from from a filmmaker so so substantial and so different. Um, exactly what came their way, um, you know, because interviews aren't by the dozens like they are today, and and learning exactly what their career took them, unless there's you know a documentary made or something like that. It was just uh, Fulci had an odd career as a filmmaker. To me, it seems like he just jumped all over the place. But I think that's obviously by choice. He just got his hands into everything. And I would just like to know exactly what took him to this place in in horror, just kind of doing horror from then on out. You know, didn't really look back at anything. Um, I think it was producer. I think it was very. I think I think it was very producer led. I mean, he worked for this the producer of Lizard, Amanda Amati. Um, who was quite a, a well-known Italian uh, producer of, of, you know, fairly reasonably budgeted films. Thought she worked for him a few times, um, and I think, um, you know, that was that was the kind of way it worked. You know, particularly in Italy, there would be producers who um, specialised in a particular kind of area and could raise money for certain kinds of projects. And you know, he, I, I think most of those zombie films were 
uh, were produced by the same, uh, you know, the, the same companies, the same uh, individuals. And I think it was that kind of thing. And, you know, they would say, oh, Fulci, he's a good pair of hands. We can trust him. We know that if we give him this much money, he's going to come back with a film that's professional and that we can sell in all these particular territories and we'll get our money back, you know. So I think that was the way it worked. I mean, he, he wasn't an, an auteur in the sense that he was – um, you know, like um, I would think of someone today, you know, like um, you know Wes Anderson or whatever, you know, someone who who obviously has an idea. I'm going to make this film, and then they'll go out and try and raise the money and get the cast and all the rest of it. I think Fulci was pretty much. Uh, he would get to know a particular producer, and that guy would say, "Okay, uh, I want a horror film. You know, go out and make it." That kind of that kind of thing. It was much more a commercial transaction, if you like. Um, and and obviously, he tried to bring his own personality and his own kind of ideas and his own approach into those films. Um, and obviously, in the really good ones, he did that because you know we can see a distinctive, you know, kind of faulty touch. But as you say, it does change as he gets, you know, into the zombie films and so on. They become much more kind of visceral, you know, much more in your face. Yeah. But, I mean, there are touches of that, you know, in Lizard. I mean, there's that scene, well, there's a couple of scenes, you know, mm-hmm. where um, there's one scene in one of the sort of dream kind of things, you know, where there's a sort of murder scene and you see some, uh, you know, someone with their sort of guts kind of spilling out all over the screen. You remember that? Yeah, that dog scene, you know. And then there's the dog scene, yeah, which, you know, we, we could yeah. talk about because that's kind of – because you know I'm, that's really shocking, and it's shocking now. That's missing from one of the DVD releases I had. Yes, like I is. think when I, I think when I very first saw that, that scene wasn't uh, you know integrated in the film, and I think it was when Image released it on DVD is when I very first saw it, and I was like, holy shit! Like that's well, pretty that's pretty intense. They got there yeah. were some issues with the um, in the UK with with you know, animal cruelty or whatever, they had to go to court or something like that? With Well, that was in Italy, actually. In Italy, okay. I, I believe he, um, when the film was originally released, um, there was a, there were complaints, um, or there, were, there was legal charges saying that, uh, that he'd actually killed these dogs, you know, and uh, sort of <laughs> cut them up and so on. And I have to say that, you know, you look at it now, and it is pretty realistic, you know. And, uh, yeah, there's they have a couple go, of dogs that do look legit. Like, it looks... Yeah, they're really, not, though. They're, really they're, they're, yeah, right. they're not. They're, um, you know, they were they were made by uh, Carlo Rambaldi, I believe. You know, it was the guy who did the special effects for ET many years later. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and he was a real master of uh, of, of special of physical effects, and um, he had to go to court, you know, with one of these fake dogs and show how he'd done it. Because you know, <laughs> Fulci was in danger of going to prison because <laughs> the the effects were so um, lifelike, so realistic. I mean, in the UK, I don't know. I imagine that okay. scene would have been cut. I think that scene would have been cut, um, and probably before the film was even submitted for classification. You know, okay. the distributor would have said, "Hey, well, we'll never get this one through. Cut well, that scene out." Well, I wonder if that's how these how these different prints, you know, ended up. You know, different edited yeah. prints. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely that's definitely part of it. You know, and I mean that scene is really weird. That dog scene because. In the film, uh, obviously, we don't want to give too much away because there's people, you know, maybe haven't yeah. seen yet, you know. Um, but there's this, there's these levels, you know, where there's a kind of an obvious reality. You know, there's people walking down the street and getting on the bus and all that stuff. And then there's the dream sequences, you know, which the film opens with. And those ones are kind of midway between fantasy and reality. And then there's scenes like this, the dog one, where she's in a hospital, um, you know, after having had a sort of breakdown. And she kind of discovers this uh, weird laboratory where these dogs, uh, you know, this dog scene is taking place, this strange 
uh, operation is going on. And that's kind of presented as reality in the film, that she's mm-hmm. actually seen this, you know, that she's not going mad or that it's not a dream or a fantasy, which is kind of really strange. I mean, you know, what? I don't know what was in his head when he came up with that. <laughs> it's, just, it's just bizarre. Yeah, but that's, that's faulty, but, though. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that you know why this film. You know, people are saying, "Oh, why has this film lasted so many years?" And I think that's the reason why, because you, you know, it, it, it's uh, there's so many questions, you know, that it poses, and you sort of watch it, and you you think about it afterwards, and you think, "What was that all about?" You know, and it's so well done that you don't just dismiss it and say, "Oh, well, who cares?" You know, it was just silly, but you know, you want to sort of try and um, solve the enigma of what this, what these scenes mean, what this film is about. Uh, and I think, you know, that's the reason why it's, you know, that's, that's the reason why people are still talking about it today, which is like, what, 40, how many years is it, 1971? How many years yes. is that? 45 years? A long time, in, uh, anyway, it's a long time ago when this film was made, but we're still talking about it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, I think it's, like I said uh, before, it's, it's substantial. And plus, you know, this is one of, um, I think, Marcone worked with Argento in like uh, before this, but this is also another film that kicked off kind of Morricone's career into horror soundtracks because he was so used to the, you know the drama and western uh, films that this yes, really yes, ki- yes. Ki- kicked it off his career. And this this soundtrack's more of a like a jazzy type score, yeah. correct? Well, yes. that's kind of how he was because I think he did, uh, you know, the soundtrack to. Um, I want to can't can't remember the names now, but um, like kind of the Cat O' Nine Tales he did. He did the Fifth Chord uh, and stuff like that. And you know, Four Flies on Gray Velvet is very jazzy as well because it's kind of the giallo feel was kind of the the jazz synth type thing that was happening. But you know, this is another thing where Morcone just started working with Fulci. Um, on on films and of course with Argento, so I think this is another film that kind of kicked his, off his career even more into that direction, which uh, yeah, I always thought was uh, interesting. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and it's one of Morricone's best. Uh, I think it's one of his best scores. It's you know, it's got all those beautiful tunes and everything, <clears throat> and then you've got all these weird you know kinds of um, sort of jazzy things, and then this kind of avant garde stuff you know going on at the same time, and it's. Uh, you know, you can sort of listen to that score. I mean, you can do that with most of his uh, scores, but you can listen to that score as a, as a kind of piece of music and it, without the film, and it's a great piece of music, but it's even better with the film, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it really adds a, another sort of dimension to it, you know. And I think there was, you know, at the time, I think there was a certain rivalry between Argento and Fulci, who obviously knew each other, um, yeah. and, um, you know, that maybe, hey, you're, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, borrow your composer or you're borrowing my composer or you know hey that scene you know with the bats or you know that's like that's like something i would have done you know that you know that kind of thing and i think uh there was a kind of a rivalry between those two guys as to who was the king of you know who was the actual king of italian horror at the time you know uh and i think you know maybe that's you know the, the morricone stuff comes into that and comes into play there yeah, I think some of his uh, his scores after this, especially you know, because one of my favorite uh, Giallo films and one of the most intense scenes ever is I think the the fifth chord, especially yeah. in that hallway with that guy creeping up with those gloves. I still, I still that scene still like gives me the shivers because I yeah. saw that at such a young age and it scared me. And it was uh, you know not too many things scared me. So I was so desensitized at such a young age 
when I saw that, I was like, what the fuck? But, um, yeah. And your, life, think, your life is never the same again. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it, it turned me on to so much, though, you know, because that was one of the titles that I just – there was sitting at uh, the video store on VHS, and it was just one of those things that I happened to grab. Um, and, you know, plus, you know, there's a lot of sexy time in that movie, too. Um, but it was just one of those things where, you know, it really got me into Morricone because he just – all those Jello films that he would score afterwards, I think that's what really kicked off kind of the Jello esque films in the seventies with, you know, like I said, the fifth chord, black belly of the tarantula. I mean, he did, um, uh, four flies on gray velvet, my dear killer, just cold eyes of fear, just all those films that had such a big, big impact with Italian cinema that I think amplified everything. Uh, the filmmakers themselves, I think they got even more excited when they had Morricone on just because yes. they knew that just, you know, you have, you know, Fulci and Argento, both, they had the visuals, they had the great camera work, they had great lighting and that's, you know, all those things are good, but sometimes music can make that scene be 10 times, 100 times better. I mean, you can oh, yeah. just do that with any Carpenter film. Take the soundtrack out of any Carpenter film, and it's just, it doesn't have the same effect. No, like, no. He, he knew he, he knew his music, and, and the directors, I bet that was a big bidding war for Morricone, too, because everybody probably wanted him, because he was He's, changing, he was changing movies himself just through his music. Yeah, he was he was busy, wasn't he? I mean, um, he he was I can't I, I can't suppose he was like Bernard Herrmann was to uh, Hitchcock, you know. It's uh, yeah. you know you, that that you you put him and the score together, you know, and, and it's a package, you know. And of course, Fulci, you know, had a background in music. I mean, he was a music critic, and he and he wrote songs and stuff, you know. And he was a big uh, lover of modern jazz and stuff. So you know, I think um, it must have been uh, it was a, probably a very happy working relationship with those two guys. And I, and I absolutely yeah. agree with you about the the impact of of music on on films generally, but certainly on these kinds of films because they're 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 largely about atmosphere, aren't they, to an extent, rather than yeah. straightforward plot. And I think though that that kind of music adds this kind of uh, an element of uh, you know very strong atmospheric kind of element to what's happening on screen. And I mean, there's whole sequences in in Lizard, like for example, the one in the uh, Alexandra Palace, you know, the the one where they got the bats, you know, which is attacked by the bats and everything. Yeah. And she's stalked by this guy, you know, with a knife and everything. That whole sequence, I don't know how long it is, um, but it's quite long and there's no dialogue in it at all. It's just, it's just uh, sound effects, music, uh, and, um, you know, and, and, and very clever, you know, kind of filming, very, very skillful camera work and stuff. And, you know, in other words, pure cinema. And I think that's what yeah. people like Fulci were aiming for. It's, it's pure cinema, you know, you don't really need a plot, you don't need dialogue, you need actors and you need uh, location and atmosphere and, and music is a ma major part of that. Well, I think maybe Fulci took that a little too much to heart. In some, <laughs> in some, cases, in some cases, I, I absolutely, I, in some cases, I absolutely agree. But, you know, it's really funny because years ago we interviewed um, uh, Luigi Cozzi, you know, who uh, okay, worked. Yeah. Yeah, who worked worked with uh, you know Argento and so on, uh, and he said this, and it was, this would have been in the nineties, I guess, you know. And we were talking about Italian genre films and stuff, and he and we mentioned Fulci, obviously, and he said, um, "Oh, you know, okay, people laugh at Fulci and so on, and but you know, in a way, people, filmmakers like uh, Steven Spielberg with things like Jurassic Park." 
it, you know, he said Jurassic Park. Uh, this is what uh, Luigi Cozzi said. Jurassic Park is like a is like a faulty film that made with millions of dollars. And at the time, I thought he's crazy, but afterwards, mm-hmm. I, he's right because, in a sense, something like Jurassic Park is a series of set pieces, isn't it? Uh, and 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 you know, high tension set pieces. And in a sense, yeah, it's just a bunch thought, of scenes. Yeah, that's what Fulci was working towards. You know, a series of high tension set pieces that have some kind of a, a thin story that brings them together. But the whole uh, point about it is to create that effect on screen, you know, and to and to move the audience and to scare them and so on. So I think there's a big similarity there between Fulci and a lot of what came later. Wow. Oh, I, I think he inspired you know a ton of people too with, with that because I think. You know, I always I love Italian cinema huge. I adore it more than probably the American cinema. It's just I've always I've always enjoyed the visuals and the tension. The movies might not be as good, you know, and some of them aren't. But there's very effective scenes, and along with the music and lighting and all that stuff, that that's kind of my favorite. Is just it's it's like watching fireworks to me. Um, Well, better than fireworks. Fireworks are kind of boring. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, it's just it's just that you know you have the loud noises, you have the pops, you jump, and that that's kind of what watching some of these films uh, was like. I mean, even um, like uh, Auto uh, is it La- Auto Lado's is it Lado L A D O? He, he made yeah, the, uh, lot, made the film yeah. Who Who Saw Her Die, yeah. and it's just in in Morricone used that that one fucking like it's so like it drives me crazy because it's just so good where he just has all those children in the choir just you know doing the la 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 yeah 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 and it's just so fucking terrifying because it's played so loud throughout the film and you're watching kind of that you know that that black dress of death come across the film and just like out of like out in broad daylight. And that's the thing is the films, you know, shot and mostly daytime. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these films were at night and when the horror starts happening at the daytime, it takes it to a new level, yes. you know? And, and then you saw that happen with a, a, a lot of the Italian filmmakers is the horror started happening during the day. Like what the fuck are you supposed to do at night? Like it's fucking terrifying. I mean, zombie <laughs> takes place mostly yeah, during the day. Yeah, we well, just don't go out yeah. at night. Do you? This is, <laughs> but yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing is that these these things are very operatic, aren't they? And I think you know we've got to remember that the Italians, you know, kind of perfected in the nineteenth century. You know, grand opera was one of the things that they were, yeah. you know, they, they 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 were very good at. And I think you know the some of these filmmakers, you can you can overmake this point, but I think it's definitely true that the filmmakers we're talking about, they were in that operatic tradition, weren't they? Where it was a lot of sort of sound and fury, and you know, kind of a spectacle. You know, is mm-hmm. what they were after, really. Well, I noticed that even with just some of the set pieces, like there's a scene where the two gentlemen are walking away from a mansion, like walking dogs, and, and from this yes, manner, oh, yeah. and, and the, the, yeah. the framing is just, you know, there are these specks among this, you know, huge background of this mansion, and then um, more of an estate, I guess. But then there's another scene where she's up on a, that chase on the rooftop when she's running from that one of those one of the yeah, that's the one we were at the end of the scene we were talking about. Yeah, and that those shots are just you know so cinematic. You don't. I feel like you don't see a whole lot of that filmmakers today taking the time to really set up you know that kind of shot. No, yeah, that's an and amazing. That's, I always, that's an amazing yeah, shot, this, isn't it, on the roof? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like what I always say because Sean and I've discussed Italian cinema. You know, it's always one thing that you hear is like 
you know, I understand the movies maybe aren't that great, but and it always frustrates me when people are like, oh, the Italian movies, they're dubbed. They're not, you know, they're not very good. It's lost in translation stuff. I was like, yeah, but you got to look at the visuals. Like these are the movies that inspire people is I want my movie to look like this. Yeah. You know, you have storytelling. Yeah. All that comes, you know, with, with, with a good writer, good musician, but to actually set up like scenes just with, you know, the hypersexual scenes with the girls in the bed, like, you know, they just didn't film. They didn't go to somebody's bedroom and, you know, film on a bed. No, Fulci and the lighting guy and, you know, the set, de- set decorator picked, handpicked those sheets. They handpicked everything for that room. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. they made it just extraordinary. That must have been, that must have been fun, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, you can tell Fulci, he takes those – he takes the time. And in order, you know, to uh, to tell stories, and and one thing that I always connected with, and this is a, a bizarre, um, you know, putting putting two people together, but Fulci feels like, you know, Pedro Almodovar. I feel he took a lot of stuff from Fulci films. It might not be there because he's never really done horror in a way, but Pedro Almodovar is exactly the same way. He tells his story through. You know, visuals through lighting, through set decorations, through colors. You know, you can even there's foreshadowing of characters just by what they're wearing in 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 these films. And I think that's a different method and different level of filmmaking that we don't really have much anymore. And that's why I always kind of stand up for these films. So if you ever want watch a fucking you know watch. Uh, a lizard in a woman's skin and then watch like broken embraces um, from Almodovar. And you'll see these like stunning, just visuals from both of these filmmakers. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think uh, in, in, uh, in a film like um, Matador, for example, you know, Almodovar is very influenced by, um, you know, kind of genre cinema, horror cinema. And I, I think it's that, that's, I think that's the film I'm thinking of at the beginning um, there's a sort of a montage of scenes, including clips from Jess Franco films and so on. You remember that scene? And, and I think he's definitely, obviously, he's very much aware of these kinds of things. And, and also maybe it's that, you know, without going too far down this, maybe it's the sort of Latin temperament or something. You know, they're more, you know, the, you know things are more extreme there. You know, the weather is more extreme and the... You know, and life is just more kind of, you know, loud and everything, you know, and I guess that, that influences... The films, you know, I mean, if you look at sort of new films that come out of New York, you know, they've got a very particular flavor, haven't they? And films that come out of Los Angeles or, or films that come out of San Francisco, you know, have got a very different flavor from the ones that come out of Los Angeles. You know, I mean, it's definitely part of the, you know, part of the deal, I think, you know, where you, where you come from. And I think that, um, the, that, that what you're talking about, that flavor of the Italian cinema is definitely something that, of the Italian genre cinema, anyway, is definitely something that, um, you know, if you've got any, you know, kind of sympathy for it at all, you know, you that's what you identify with. And when you watch these films, no matter that the plot doesn't make any sense and that the, the dubbing is not very good and so on, you're sort of drawn into the atmosphere of those films, aren't you? And it's a very particular place that you're inhabiting. Yeah. Yeah, there's always something to, that, that, that'll stand out for sure. Yeah. In yeah. these films. Yeah. Well, you, do, you know, you just get sucked in, don't you? You know, it's like, you know, you kind of, you find yourself in this kind of world, you know, and the logic of it is the logic of, you know, they're presenting to you and you don't sort of question it and you just go along with it and you, and you, and it's, you enjoy the ride, 
this is a thing, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. like, a, you know, it's like a roller coaster ride. You know, you're taken away and you can't stop it. You know, it's drawing you on. You know, that's that's what you want. Well, that's the thing about uh, you know lizard is that it's a very it is a simple kind of detective murder mystery. You know, but yeah. the way that Fulci frames everything just adds so much more to the film. I think that would say if a different director took this script, you know, and made their own film or someone, you know, did a, did a remake off the same script, uh, all la cabin fever. <laughs> um, <laughs> say if somebody took that, I definitely, I don't think it would be as operatic or as grand. It would definitely be smaller scale because people would treat it differently than Fulci yeah. treated this film. And it's the same thing with all these, these, as I'm starting to discover these, more of these Giallo films. I mean, I, I haven't watched a whole lot. I've watched kind of the, the heavy hitters, but yeah. diving into things like this, you know, where you always think of Giallo like, oh, it's a black glove with a knife, you know, stalking, you know, beautiful women is the, I guess the standard, uh, Yep, that's yeah, pretty much yeah. it. You know, but this, <laughs> but this, this is not that at all. But it's still oh, considered. No, no. But but it's but it's because it's a thriller. Yeah, and, you know. I um, mean, I think the explanation of Giallo goes a long, a long way with right. with, with cinema because I think it gets that black glove killer. Um, you know, mentality. People think of that automatically, but I think Giallo is a lot more on, than that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we have like you know the. You know, Bava making uh, kind of Jello esque films in, in you know the late late sixties, mm-hmm. and then you know so we had some more stuff in the seventies. But we, I think it's more or less, um, you know, if people go back to the original, you know, how the origins, how it started with the books, you know, the yellow book, you know, little paperbacks into the murder mm-hmm. mysteries. But I, I mean, I think it turned into. Uh, a style of filmmaking. I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think when I th- hear Giallo, I think Black Glove Killer. I mean, I do think that, but I also think of stuff like Suspiria, for example. I mean, there's an argument that Suspiria isn't a Giallo film, which I think it is, mainly because of the music and the visual mm-hmm. visual that Argento does. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that it's that standard, you know, uh, like stuff, something like the fifth chord or f- like four flies on gray velvet, where it's, you know, the murder mystery with the gloves, you know, or C- cat of nine tails or any, anything of that nature. I, I think it's all about presentation. And, um, you know, that's why I would love to see Giallo come back and it slowly has a little, little by little, but I think it's just kind of method of filmmaking that mm-hmm. I, I truly love because, uh, like Pete said, it's very operatic. Like you get to watch a film, presented to you that you normally don't get to see and that's what you know visualization of those films that's what excites me more than kind of an intricate story or of a whodunit mm-hmm. it's more or less you can tell a very basic movie but like it's grand what these guys are doing so and these things are very much of a time and a place aren't they and i think it's very difficult to recreate that um, and i think one of the things that's appealing about them is the fact that they are from a you know, a distant time and place. And um, as I say, they take you on this kind of journey. And, uh, you know, modern films that, um, you know, uh, that attempt, and some of them quite cleverly, to follow in that style, they can never really do it because, you know, what you actually need is a time machine and you need to go (laughs) back to, you know, 1971 or something. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things kind of colliding around that point, like you said, with the end of the kind of the swing in 60s. Um, I mean, we don't have things like that where these t- those types of swingers parties were you know very 
common. <laughs> oh, they, and, still, you know, they still are around where well, I live. <laughs> probably, probably, but I mean, they're very la- like very. You see these in these films where it's very lavish, and you know, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, me going through college and everything like that, I would have, uh, I would have killed for a party like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it, 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 it always ended up. I was in the middle of Iowa, but it was just a bunch of uh, idiots drinking uh, natural light and. <laughs> doing shots of lime vodka and passing out <laughs> pretty much that sounds pretty good to me <laughs> <laughs> but there there was a lot of uh a lot of different cultures i think colliding at this time i think more there's there's still i mean that that's the thing every gen- generation has its cultures colliding it's just around this time it was different you know art was expressing that differently you know than we have now Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, you know, it was a time of change, wasn't it? You know, and I mean, as we, you know, we talk about in the some of the extras on the on the disc, you know, this was a period of of transition. And it was a period when, uh, you know, the optimism maybe of the 60s was turning a bit sour. And so the film has a kind of a, um, you know, a kind of a pretty sort of negative take on some of those things. You know, it's not positive about, you know, things like drugs and, you know, psychedelia and so mm-hmm. on. I mean, they're seen as being, you know, kinds of, uh, you know, problems and things that may be, um, you know, are not particularly helpful, you know, because I think Fulci was, was definitely started off when he was a young man anyway. He certainly says this, that he started off, you know, uh, with sort of political ambition, not political ambitions, but he had, a, he was a lefty, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, he thought the society could change for the better and so on. But I think by the time he made uh, Lizard and certainly his, his later films, he'd given up on that. And he thought, well, you know, man, he's cruel and rotten and horrible and there's nothing we can do about it. You know, so I'm just going to go out and make films about it. You know, this kind of thing. I think The optimism was th- gone. It was gone. And I think, you know, this film is definitely this film. And I think maybe uh, Don't Torture a Duckling and so on are the sort of points around which it it changed for him you know which his filmmate his approach to to um you know the world and politics may be changed yes well what i love about this disc here is just the amount of special features you have in there i was kind of going through them the other day and you have i mean there's a almost i would say almost two hours of special features on here oh wow Um, right is that is that right we got the interview i don't know i mean i I, Uh, yeah and that's amazing. That's true. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of a lot of movies. So I want to make sure I'm not getting him confused with another thing. But I but I think I want. I wrote down a point about this one because there's a um, the shedding the skin documentary. There's um, the Lucio Fulci's Day for Night, an actual interview with him, yeah. which is fantastic. And you got an interview with uh, Stephen Thrower, and then uh, an interview with actor Tony Adams, and and those kind of go on for a while. And then there's this audio audio commentary with Chris Gavin. Yes, as yes, well. I mean, yes. there's just this thing's loaded, and I only scratched the surface. I couldn't really finish them all. Um, no, well, that's, that that was good. That was what we wanted. I mean, yeah. we wanted to present, you know, as as full a, a, a meal as you know a, a banquet as we could get on there, you know, because uh, I'm particularly pleased that you liked the um, day for night uh, piece because that uh, it took quite a bit of uh, getting that sorted out. But I was really, I really wanted an interview with mm-hmm. Fultz because I kind of thought that there there aren't enough interviews with him available and um you know i wanted something that, you know it's easy to get people to talk about Fulci, or it's relatively easy to get people to talk about Fulci. but i thought let's try and find something where he presents himself uh, yeah. and, and, and presents himself in the way that i remembered him uh, mm. remembered from having met him all those years ago where did you guys well, he, find that uh well it was done for italian tv uh and i saw it first on a i think a french dvd that came out um, 10 years or so ago. Um, 
And um, that was it, really. I mean, I just kind of remembered it. And there's not that many interviews with Fulci. I mean, uh, yeah, he did a few, you know, sort of bitty ones, and he did some later ones later on in his life when he was perhaps not, you know, very well, and um, maybe he didn't come across, um, you know, the way that he actually was. I think in in that interview, he comes across. You know, as a very sort of funny guy, you know, he's mm. got a very dry sense of humour, and he's and he's very aware of what he does, and uh, you know, and he's he's proud of what he does, and so on, and he's uh, but he's realistic about it, and uh, you know, and I think uh, that was that was the picture I wanted to present. I want to say, here's the guy that made the movie, you know, mm. and it adds another level to it. I think is is fantastic, and I've, I've I don't think I'd ever seen an inter- interview with Fulci, so I was very surprised at how just approachable of a guy he seemed to have been you know, just, well, you know uh, it's interesting because in that interview that interview was done by a woman a female director and i think he was different hmm. um you know with women in fact i know he was uh different with women from what he was with guys particularly you know if they were sort of fans of his he would treat them kind of quite mean sometimes <laughs> you know and i think it was a woman he was a bit more respectful and he wanted to kind of um get her on his side you know so he was kind of being nice to her you know so he was he was saying things that he probably wouldn't have said to a guy is what i'm saying you know that he uh, he opened up a little bit more because it was a woman asking the questions now um about picking like how how long have were you working on getting this actually released long time yeah it was a long time and because we wanted to um you know make this the longest version or the most complete version um and also do it in hd we needed to find some sequences that were missing and that was a really 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 difficult thing to do um i i thought it would be well i didn't think it would be easy but i thought it would be relatively easy um i thought this is a film that was distributed in a number of major territories so we will find a print somewhere a 35 millimeter print but we could not find a print anywhere and um there was a lot of kind of strange, you know, funny stories. Like um, there's a a, 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 a group uh, in the UK who show films in sort of late night cinemas and things like this, yeah? And they're sort of big events, you know, people come along and there's a whole kind of party atmosphere. And I noticed that they'd screened this film. So I got in touch with I vaguely knew the guys. I got in touch with them and said, can we access your print of Lizard and a Woman's Skin? And the guy kind of went quiet and he said, ah, that was a disaster. And I was like, why? What happened? And apparently, you know, you know we said that this film was released in America as schizoid. Um, he found uh, a film la- a film storage place that said that they had a, a copy of Lizard and a Woman's Skin, but it was called schizoid. So he booked it, advertised it, booked the cinema. It was a late night screening, like half past 11, midnight, something. All these people came along very excited to see a Lizard and a Woman's Skin. But what they actually got was this film Schizoid, this American movie. And apparently, you know, it was a disaster because, you know, obviously people were massively um, annoyed <laughs> by having turned up to see this. So, oh, so you know, we, we it's just started this long, long search to find this. And there was a print in Italy and it had gone missing. And I had a guy uh, who was helping us out in, in, in Italy and it took – you know, he was going up and down Italy. He was driving up and down the motorway, going to different places where he thought this print might have been lost. And it was just crazy, you know. Um, so that was kind of, that took a long time just doing that. I mean, just looking for those missing bits, I reckon, took about six weeks, 
you know, from start to finish, wow. you know. So, uh, you know, so it did take a long time to put together. Um, and obviously, you know, when, you, when you're working on these things, you're doing other things, you know, you're doing other projects as yeah. well, you know. So, you, you know, you have to keep uh, – and also, you know, when the materials were delivered to us from the, um, you know, from the uh, lab, there was no soundtrack. You know, the soundtrack came separately. You know, so we, you know, we had to sort of sync that up. You know, and it was, uh, and there was bits missing from the soundtrack, and so it was a real kind of. It was, I would say that this was the most complicated one that we've ever done. In fact, it's definitely the most complicated one we've ever done. So uh, you hear you that know. people so buy it, so that way it pays off. <laughs> What's that? I said to tell people just to buy it because it will pay pay off. <laughs> well, so. I'm really pleased that people have been um, have responded so well because you know that was obviously that's your aim, isn't it? You know, when you do something, you think you hope people are going to like it, but you you never know. You know, there's always a thing where it just doesn't work, or you know, people just don't uh, respond. You know, so um, I really you know really pleased that people have liked this and that they've you know kind of seen all the work that we put into it. You know, because uh, like with the audio commentary with Chris, you know, that I've known Chris a long time and um, I, I knew that he knew a lot about this film. And I was talking to him one evening about uh, about it, uh, you know, having a coffee or something. And he was sort of telling me all these stories about the cast. And I said, look, you know, this is we've got to do an audio commentary. You know, you can't cover this in a short interview. You know, you, we've, we've got to, you know, have you saying this stuff as the film plays and various people come up, you know, and you can tell us who they are and, you know, what we know about them and so on. And that, and that adds sort of another level to it. And I think that's, you know, kind of uh, that was really nice to do because I was discovering, you know, stuff for myself. And I think when you do these kinds of projects, that's really one of the main reasons for doing it is that you're discovering something that is of interest to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was just doing it because oh god I can't think of anything better, anything else to do, then it, it wouldn't be the same, you know. But you were actually discovering something new about this film uh, as you as you progress, you know, on the project. And I think that's uh, you know that was really that was a really great thing. That in itself would have been uh, a reward enough, you know, just to do that. But the fact that you know people have responded positively, I think, is is the is is, is the icing on the cake. You know, that's perfect. Do you have any uh, any other Fulci uh, titles that you love that you would like to see? Or cause I yeah, see well, this is through Studio Canal too that popped uh, up. So is there potential with working with them in the future? Not really. I mean, the materials came from them, but the rights yeah. came from someone else. The rights came from somewhere else. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, there's a couple of other Fulci things that um, we're, we're talking about. I can't say what they are at the moment yeah. because um, <laughs> you know it's uh, you know. <laughs> Subjudice and all that stuff, but yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, there's there's still a number of his films that haven't really come out in 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 you know really decent versions, mm-hmm. and um, you know I hope that um, uh, I mean obviously we can't do them all, but um, yeah, we, we're we're looking at, we're looking at a couple of them at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I would like to see uh, for the apocalypse. That's probably one of my favorite Fulci films, and it's just kind of crazy. Right. It's a western serial killer type thing. Yeah. I know the film. Yeah, yeah. he did. A, he did. He did a couple of fairly brutal sort of westerns, didn't he? I mean, uh, you know, I think it was a genre that, like, it was one of the ones that he really kind of, uh, he really kind of um, brought something special to. Yeah, and, um, uh, Massacre Time was Massacre the other Time. One that was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which again is pretty brutal, isn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Even like I mean, I mean, because it was you know we had all these you know John Wayne, uh, you know Sergio Leone sp- spaghetti westerns coming out, but then you had this really gritty side of westerns that were coming out as well from the Italians. You know, I mean, it's Leone, Leone was Italian and all that, but he a more grittier, low budget side. Um, you know, yes. and a different yes. method of storytelling, which is a lot more exciting. Cause I mean, we have like, you know, the, you know, nothing wrong with the Leone films or anything like that. I mean, they, they're, they're great films all around, but I do like kind of the underground Western thing that was happening with some of these, uh, smaller guys and they were making some pretty brutal, you know, Westerns for the sixties. And uh, Volti yeah. was definitely one of them. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, he—I guess he came in with that at the sort of, you know, the tail end of uh, of, the, of the Western uh, um, movement, didn't he? You know, his 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 uh, you know his films were made in the uh, towards the end of the sixties, I suppose. Was it Massacre Time? Uh, Massacre Time was uh, in yeah. The, yeah, like sixty six, I think. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's sort of in the middle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what before the, the apocalypse was seventy five. Yeah, yeah, that was later okay. on. I was trying to think of the other one. It's like. Light the fuse and here comes Satan or something like that. It's something along like along the line or light the stick of dynamite. Here comes Satan. Is it something like you know what I'm talking about, Peter? Is that I'm not that familiar with that. Um... Yeah, I, something along the lines of that of that title, and that's another one that's always kind of stuck out to me. I'd have so. to. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I'd, have to, I'd have to look that up to. Uh... <laughs> Just... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it in years. It just popped in my head when we were talking about it. It was. <sighs> I certainly know Massacre Time and Four of the Apocalypse. Um, yeah, and I wasn't. Uh... Yeah, some of these are actually. I'm looking. I brought up IMDb, and some of these are in in Italian. So I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> yes, that's a, yeah. That's I'll think of it. I'll, I'll email you the title. You, you definitely need to check it because it's really, really, really good. Yeah, it's drive you crazy. Yeah. It will drive me crazy. I'm going to be thinking about it the whole time. <laughs> so we need to talk about something else. <laughs> well, um, we probably can, can wrap up here. Um, but I wanted, is there anything coming down the pipes from Mondo Macabre that we should be keeping our eyes on that you can actually talk about? Uh, yeah, well, with the, we've got um, we've got Symptoms coming up uh, pretty soon, which is a project we're doing with the in, in, in partnership with the BFI, with the British Film Institute here in the UK. We're doing the American one. They're doing the, uh, the UK one. Um, and this, I don't know if you know the film, but this is a, this is a film by a guy called uh, Jose Larraz, um, who was a Spanish filmmaker, but uh, he lived in the UK for much of his life. And um, it, it was released, I think, or it was made, I think, in 1974. And it, it was actually the British official entry at the Cannes Film Festival, amazingly, because it's a very small film, very low-budget film. And then it sort of disappeared, and um, it's got a reputation, you know, from, you know, one of these underground reputations, because it is a very, it's a, you know, it's a a quiet film, it's a small film, but it's a very spooky film. I mean, it takes place more or less in one house with a a very small cast, mostly just two women, Um, and it's got this really great atmosphere, really kind of moody and spooky atmosphere, and uh, that's been a film that we've been working on one way and another for a long, long time. Um, I mean, I knew Jose, uh, Jose Larraz. Uh, he died, I think, uh, three, two or three years ago. And I knew him when he lived in the UK. 
And this was always a film that you know we wanted to kind of resurrect. And uh, it just turned out to be like one of the, again one of these long you know voyages when you're kind of looking for things because it, the film had disappeared. Yeah, you know, the negative had vanished and everything. And uh, it was a long. I mean, you know, I could I could probably talk an hour about that. <laughs> the, the, you know, but I won't. We'll have but, you back on. Yeah, that absolutely. But, but that's coming out mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of months, and um, we've got a film called um, an, a Greek film called Medusa. Obviously, the Medusa is a famous legend in Greece, you know, about the, um, you know, the woman with the snakes in her hair and so on, you know, and you, uh, you know, if you, if you look at her, you get turned to stone. And um, this is a modern kind of version of that. It's, it's kind of more of a film noir than a, it's not, it's not a, uh, um, a kind of a, a, a mythical kind of, you know, film set in the past. It's a, it's a, it's a modern, well, I mean, I think it was made in, in the 90s. So it's it's a kind of a, a modern take on the Medusa myth, and it and it's a it's it's one of the things that we we try to do. I hope uh, we we succeed occasionally is that is to find things that haven't been um, really overexposed and that and that aren't really known about uh, films from countries where um, you know people don't expect horror movies to come from, for example. Uh, and I think Greece is one of those countries, and. Um, so we've got Medusa coming out, and uh, it's a really interesting film. And the guy that made it is really interesting as well. I mean, there's an interview with him on the disc. And, uh, you know, his, his story about how he came to make this film and, you know, his background is kind of different wow. from what you might expect. You know, so, that, so that was a really nice, you know, kind of uh, discovery. And who's, I, who's the director of, of that? It's a guy called George Lazopoulos, but he's never really directed anything yeah. else. Um, I'm like I'm trying to pull this movie up, and I'm like I can't find it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Medusa. It's M E D O U S A. Okay, I was spelling it uh, wrong then. Yeah, it, there it is. 1998. Okay, there you go. There you go. All right. Um, and it's 1998. Yeah, yeah for, for us, that's compar- That's like yesterday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'd say that's because, that's one of the more current. I mean, other than. Um, the Devil's Business, but yeah, that's one of the more current ones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, um, it just so happened, as, as you know, we were we were looking at, uh, we put out a couple of Greek films, which I think you guys weren't too keen on. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, I, I got a little, I got a little uh, remarks from that. I was just, I was, those, Brad? Well, I, um, the Wife Killer and Tango of Perversion. It was, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was it. not a fan of the wife killer at all. <laughs> uh, Tango of Perversion wasn't that bad, but yeah, I was not. I was not happy with the wife killer. Like, it was. It was surprising because I mean, usually that stuff's my speed. It just didn't. It didn't hit me in the way that most of those films do. So it's pretty grim. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Uh, so we won't talk about that one. Uh, uh, we, you know, <laughs> we, we, we we call it like it is. We 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 want to speak this. Speak our no, feelings I, here. I absolutely. Truthfully. That's what I, that's, uh, look, it's way, way better. Obviously, you know, we don't make these films particularly, mm-hmm. but it's way, way better that people respond uh, in, in a strong way to, to what we do. If people just go, that's okay, I guess, you know, so what? No, move on next. <laughs> it's much better that somebody really reacts strongly, whether it's in, in for yeah. or against. You know, that that's really good, you know, and... Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm I'm happy with that. And, yeah, you, people you want know. to know what you're talking about, you know. Yeah, exactly. And and you, I, I read what you wrote, and you had, you know, you had your reasons. You know, it was like, uh, I mean, that film actually did get quite a lot of negative reviews, <laughs> and some of them, it was just like I couldn't understand why. 
but at least you know you had a, a reasoned kind of argument, and mm. you know, that's uh, kind of interesting yeah. to read as well. You know, um, you can't so please we, everybody. What are you gonna no, do? no, that's right. <laughs> hey, we, you please we, me like ninety eight percent of the time. I can <laughs> yeah, have that one movie I don't like. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good record, isn't it? And we've yeah. got this. Um, we've got this film called Spider, or the, the title translates as the Spider. Uh, and it's from Latvia. Um, you know, with the uh, which you know, obviously, formerly you know, part of the uh, Soviet Union. Right. Uh, and this is a film I think from the early nineties. Uh, and it's the and it's the, the first and I think the only horror film to be made in Latvia. Um, and I think they had I think they had one a couple years ago. Yes, there was one about the man in orange or something. Yeah, you know? the man the man in the orange jacket, which yeah, was a, and it's a yeah. Go on, sorry, you, you were saying. No, I was going to say it was a very very bizarre movie, very very slow. But it, it just it, and it's funny because I saw it a few years ago. And it just got released on VOD on like Voodoo and stuff over here. Oh. I don't recommend it. It's just a very uh, – it's not a very good movie, but it is – it's interesting. No, I know the film. I know the film. Yeah, yeah that, you're, you're right. That's, that's probably the other one. But this was definitely the first. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's a really interesting film. And it's kind of very much in the style of uh, you know, Argento and so on. It's, it's kind of got – it's got that Euro you know, kind of mood. And it's about a girl who is um, hired as a model for a, a famous artist who wants to paint the Virgin Mary. And uh, she's uh, younger. She's 17 or 18, I think. And she uh, starts to have these weird dreams about this kind of giant spider that's coming to her in the night and stuff. You know, I won't say it. I won't go on, go on anymore. You can guess the rest. But it's very sort of gothic and very, you know, kind of nightmarish. And really sounds right up my alley. Yeah, it's really surprising and it's really nicely done. And um, the guy that uh, we got an interview with the guy who made it, who directed it, uh, who was uh, never who never made another film. Uh, huh. This was his first and only film. But he he was a production designer, and uh, I think this film came out at a time when the Soviet Union, you know, was kind of collapsing, uh, and all these independent states were, you know, were kind of. Uh, were breaking away, and so a lot of unusual kind of cinema was being produced at that time. You know, the barriers were down, and you know it was kind of anything goes. You know, and uh, so you know that's um, you know it's a film that kind of for us anyway came out of nowhere. You know, it was like uh, I didn't expect to find this film because wow. you know horror horror movies in the Soviet Union were not really. I mean, there are some, but they were not really. Um, uh, accepted, you know, they they weren't accepted as, as as a as a legitimate form of expression. So it was quite uh, unusual to find this kind of things coming out of that background, and 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 for it to be good as well, which it is, it's really good. Well, from what I, from what I've read, there is a uh, a scene that kind of uh, is similar to a famous scene in Possession, Possession. and also a famous scene in Galaxy of Terror, but involving yeah. a spider. Yes, that's right. Yes, there is. It's very much possession. Um, and, I, and I guess, you know, they must have seen possession or something, probably. Uh-huh. Um, but it's one of those things that is very much, you know, in and of itself, if you know what I mean. It just seems to exist um, because they wanted it to rather than because they were trying to be like uh, right. anything else. I mean, he does, he does say that he was influenced by European horror okay. movies rather because obviously there weren't any Russian horror movies for him to, really for him to be influenced by. So, you know, that was where it was coming from. But it's very sort of gothic. And it's weird because although it's set in the contemporary, 
period. In other words, I think the film was in the early 90s, mm-hmm. so it's that's the background. But it could almost be the 1890s. You know, there's there's very little evidence of the modern world in this film, which is another interesting aspect of it. Nice. I'm I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, I think people yeah, will like are, will um, like one. Yeah, those are three films that I've um I I've heard of symptoms um because of the filmmaker it was funny cuz he made a lot of like really oddball like direct to video horror films in the 80s. Yes, that's right. Um yeah, he made like Edge of the Axe and Rest in Pieces and That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, black uh what is it? Black Black Curtains. Black Candles, Black Candles. Black Candles, yeah, Black Candles, yeah. You know, I was familiar with those films, but I have actually have never seen Symptoms, so that's going to be exciting. But I think my high point is this uh the Spider movie that sounds uh definitely up my alley in weirdness well it's just so fun to discover films you know i mean we're gonna be talking about the american horror project soon i believe and i've been going through that and these are three films i'd never heard of and i'm you know been discovering those and the same thing with you know discovering uh, lizard in, in in a woman's skin which was you know people knew about it but i'm seeing it for the first time but then films like these upcoming ones you know just it's i don't know it's just it's very fun I think to discover films in in this genre that just seems you know to go around in circles with all the heavy hitter horror films to discover, but uh, it's it's always fun to for labels like Mondo Macabro where you can actually really discover things. Well, that, that's yeah. kind of what we that's what what we aim to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of the things anyway that we aim to do. Obviously, you can't do it with every one, but you know, with every yeah. shot. But um, you know, you always try to you know to find these things which are. Uh, off center you know not not necessarily from the mainstream and um you know sometimes it's a bit of a struggle and sometimes <laughs> you know it's difficult to get people to um you know take them seriously in the sense that you know they they they, they there's always something else that is crying out for their hard-earned dollars you mm-hmm. know but, uh, yeah i think you know it's always something that we try to do and um they've got sm- yeah, it's a small audience obviously but uh you know, I think it's a you know there are people who who look for these things from us, and I think that's you know something I really want to carry on doing. Nice, light nice. diffuse Sartana is coming. That's the name of it. There you go. Oh yeah, and, it, oh. and it's like and it's like smoking aces, but without the hotel. It's like they find out all this money's located in this area, then all these like fucking you know bounty hunter hitmen show up. You know, like there's the one, like there's the widow, there's the, um, there's the general monk, and they all just show up in this area, and it's it's a it's a pretty uh, cool cool movie. Nice. Yeah, those um, those Satana, there was a lot of those Satana films made, wasn't there? He was one of the sort yeah. of serious characters, wasn't he? I suppose he sounded like Satan or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why I was. I, I don't know. That's the reason why I probably said Satan because it sounded so familiar. <laughs> so he grabbed it off the shelf. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, <laughs> One film I was going to ask you about, because, you know, I'm sure you guys take recommendations. Have you ever seen a film called The Last Screening? It was made about 2011, and it is pure giallo, and it was only released in France. Uh, Ah, what's it called? The Last? The Last Screening. And um, it was only released in France and never really screened anywhere else, not available anywhere else. It just had a DVD release, and that's it. Um, but no, I, I don't know. That's my request. I think you would really, <laughs> really, really – dude, it is it is really good. And it is full force, 100% like 1970s Giallo. Huh. Well, and it has to well. – and it's like – it even has like elements of like a cinema paradiso. 
like you know kind of that fantasy theater feeling yeah, yeah. um i mean it's nothing like that but that's that's vibes i even get from that movie but yeah the last screening it, it's it sucks because it's only available like on dvd in france there are english subtitles on the dvd though um but yeah it's one of those films that really hits heavy with kind of the giallo 1970 feel like fulci argento so. oh that's great i mean thanks for, i'll check that out i mean um I do recognize some of the names. I do know some of the people involved with it, so I can find out about it. But I know it's the Canal Plus are there, and, um, yeah, that's probably one reason why it's not been uh, sold overseas. They they tend to be quite difficult to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it because there were. There's actually a few uh, Giallo films that have come out um, that never made it to the States. The other one was um, – it was kind of a loosely based remake of Suspiria. It was called uh, Masks. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, that's a German film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, that was really good, too. And it was just like, mm. it, it just sucks that those, you know, these films aren't widely available because it is that, you know, that genre that could slowly come back. I mean, we had, you know, Barbarian Sound Studio over here. We had, um, you know, Amir. The strange color of your body's tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's you right. Know, th- those films at least made it over here, but you know, there, there's a few. And Julia's Eyes too, which wasn't that well. You know, that kind of got shoved under the rug because it was that IFC thing. When any movie was released by IFC a few years ago, you never heard about it. But um, you know, it was one <laughs> of those IFC. Good. Yeah, it was just it was ridiculous. Every mo- I hated when they actually uh, got the rights to a movie because you would never know it was released and it got a DVD release and it was hardly available. And it was like $24 on <laughs> Amazon. It's like, you want people to watch your movies. Come on guys. Yeah. Well, they were, yeah, they were had some strange, uh, <clears throat> some strange deals. Didn't they? Those guys. Yeah. Yeah. But that, so. you know, masks that, that, um, yeah, I, I do know that film. I mean, I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, that same director made one called the tears of Carly a few years earlier, which did come out in America because we were chasing that film. and uh, well, I got, haven't seen that one. It, it, well, this is interesting because uh, it came out for a company that I'd never heard of. You know, one of these companies that just seems to have had loads and loads of stuff out there, but that nobody ever knows anything about. And um, they paid a lot of money for it, you know, because I know the guys that produced that film. And, uh, you know, we were bidding for it. And they said, oh, no, we've had, you know, we, somebody's offering us four times what you're offering. And it was like, wow, you know, and I think this is maybe the the, the issue with masks, you know, that um, they wanted a lot of money for it and no one in the States was prepared to stump up because it's, uh, you know, a, a, a German film with uh, unknown actors and so on and uh, kind of a hard sell, you know, for, for the money they were asking. I mean, that's my speculation. There's yeah, often reasons why yeah. things, There's often reasons why things don't come out and very often it's to do with the money. Sadly. Yeah. Well, it says T- Tears of Kali, yeah, Maverick Entertainment Group. I've never even heard of those guys. No. Well, I looked them up, you see, when there was like loads and loads of uh, releases that they'd had, and uh, and, and like, I'd never heard of them, you know. And the weird thing is they dubbed the film into English. Huh. Really badly, you know, because it was filmed in German. They dubbed it really badly into English, but that must have cost them quite a lot of money. Man, I'm excited to watch that. That sounds it's, like it's right good. Up my it's, alley. It's, it's actually better than Masks. Yeah, masks like it has mask had a lot of potential. It yes. just it didn't achieve what it was felt like it was trying to do. 
Like I, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Because the production value was there, the cinematography was there, the music was there. It was just, I don't know, something about the story. And I guess because it related so much to Suspiria, in so many ways, I think that's kind of what took me out of it. Yes, I, I agree. And I think the you know the first half, the first third of the setup, and the first half of the film was really good. But then some, you know, some guy gets involved in trying to sort out the mystery or something, doesn't he? And it all just sort of goes a bit kind of pointless, you know? Yeah. I, I remember being really quite intrigued by the first half and then being very disappointed by the second half, you know. Whereas I think the Tears of Carly is pretty good all the way through. It's kind of like three related kind of short stories and it's quite creepy and it's 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 good actually it's worth watching yeah, i'm i'm pretty excited about that one I'll, I'll check that out you check out the last screening and you let me know what you think i will yeah, yeah absolutely no i'm, I'm very yeah. interested that, that movie like i saw that man i i saw that movie like maybe five or like it's one of those movies i think about almost every single fucking day because oh. it's not available anywhere. And like I just I you know, I, I actually bought it. I had to spend like fifty bucks on the D V D and you know, I, I watch it, you know, quite frequently because it's a big inspiration to a screenplay that I wrote, you know, because oh, okay. I one of the very first screenplays I wrote was a Giallo film. But like it was you know, that movie was fucking oh man, dude, it's so good. Like, if you love like those kind of tension builder giallo films this is like it's like the fifth chord that's what it feels like you know it's what? like that sense of dread that just hovers over you the entire movie that's that's what i like the so. french young sort of french guys seem to be are really into that whole giallo thing i mean uh there's a film called black aria as well which came out about i think about the same time as the uh as the last screening <clears throat> made by a bunch of young French guys, and it's pretty. I mean, it's you know, it's got all kinds of faults because it was made for a tiny amount of money, uh, but it's pretty good. Black Aria. It's 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 probably worth checking How out. How you spell that? Uh, black with A R I A on the end. So Black Aria. Mm. All our <laughs> listeners are fucking having a time right now of all these fucking movies. <laughs> I'm 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 keeping track of them. Yeah, we're put them on the show just, notes we're just throwing recommendations out one another. <laughs> <laughs> but that but that but that. I mean, I'm you know that's. That's not a great uh, film, but it, it definitely shows that um, you know those uh, the yeah. young filmmakers have a feel for that area, and they're definitely exploring um, you know new possibilities with it. I mean, Amer, obviously, you mentioned, and the strange uh, color of your body's tears, whatever it was called, you know. Yeah, yeah, the strange color of your body's tears. Yeah, those those guys are really. It's a guy and a, and a, it's a man and a woman. Yeah, isn't it? yeah I think they're married, right? Is it, is yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they're obviously really influenced by that, that kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 70s Italian, 60s, 70s Italian stuff. And they're kind of taking it to another level, you know, I think they're... Well, they're yeah, kind that of really was kind of like a mirror. They they told a story through three acts as a woman, like a, like a woman's womanhood. That's right. As she, well, like her, yeah. you know, finding herself through these different situations, you know. Uh, and that was, that was a very bizarre, very bizarre movie. But, it, it you know, it worked. It was very, very well done and... You know, it's it, those are the types of films that really grab me. And so, it, like Barbarian Sound Studio was one of them that I absolutely fucking adored because you have this guy. Have you seen that one, Pete? With yeah, um, of course. Yeah, I, I know. The, I know Peter. Yeah, fairly yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. It was just yeah, this, was you know, th- yeah. this this film where you know this guy was scoring, like not scoring. He was doing like you know ADR and foley. For this, um, you know, this a, a giallo film called The Question Vortex that we actually never see, 
but it spirals into its own story of Giallo. And I thought that was so unique and yeah. so well done and so just so, so weird. Man. Yeah, that was a special film, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I got the uh, UK Blu-rays. I need to yeah, pop it in soon. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? Not yet. I like you know. I'm I'm so far behind on my to watch pile. It's ridiculous. Oh, trust me, man. I, all of us are. Yeah. Um. Well, everyone has their homework now. Yeah. Yeah. We got some <laughs> movies for you guys to check out. <laughs> it's always good to uh, you know to sort of bring up new things that people may have missed. You know, because yes. we can't you know we can't see everything and. Yep. Uh, Sometimes it's like you were saying with that one, you know, you see it and it really affects you, you know, and you kind of uh, think about it a lot and that, you know, you can't talk about it to anyone because no one else has seen it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun because people, you know, we all have seen, you know, different films and I'm sure you sort a lot of stuff out with the yeah. shenanigans stuff that you watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yes. God. You have to watch a lot of. So unsubtitled, you know, kind of 10th generation, you know, taken off a of VHS kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. Sometimes it's difficult, you know, to judge uh, whether anything is actually any good, you know, mm. because obviously the visual you know, film is a visual medium and the visual quality of what you're looking at is really important. So when you're seeing a kind of a, a cropped, you know, 10th generation, you know, color film with all the color sort of taken out of it in a language you don't necessarily understand, I mean, you know that is kind of quite. That's kind of quite a tough call, isn't it? But that's what you have to do sometimes, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, okay. Pete, thank you so yeah. much for yeah, talking with us a, uh, about this. I mean, it's one of those things where we all, especially you and Brad, can keep on going. Yes, uh, but it but it is hard. It is half past midnight here in the UK, so <laughs> maybe. Uh, yeah, start, thanks for I'll, staying up and doing this with I'll us. Start, to talk, I'll start to burble a little <laughs> Well, thank you for talking with us about uh, a lizard in, in a woman's skin. I believe you guys are, are stocking the stores that requested. Uh, you have plenty of stock, correct? I know that uh, Grindhouse Video just got some in stock. Yes, um, we we were. Yeah, it it kind of it sold more quickly than we expected. Uh-huh. So, but there was a little there was a little window where where we didn't have any, but it's 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 all out there again now. Good. We, so the, the scalpers on eBay can relax. Chill out. Yes, yes, There's yes. Stock. Well, I noticed that the um, you know the red box edition uh, is, is there is a couple of people selling that on. Yeah, yeah that, that with that stuff that always happens. Whatever. I know. I just uh, it is honestly, folks, it's not us. Trust me, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, people are quick to to say, "Oh, this that's the that's the distributor doing it." Yes, it's not. Oh us. man. But uh, this is. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's in stock. I know that uh, a couple of people over the weekend that I was talking to. On, online we're trying to find it and i guess they had checked like three or four different places and they didn't have it in stock grindhouse mm. video though had it in stock grindhousevideo.com um they have some in stock there i believe he's selling it for 19.95 a few of oh. you got a good deal because he priced it wrong on accident oh good um, yeah but um but but you can get those there for sure he has those in stock and then uh, it's good to hear that uh, other stores if you're looking for them will be uh will be getting them in stock so everyone relax Buy the film. It's this is worth it. I mean, nineteen ninety five. That's a fantastic deal for this. Um, just it's so stacked. You know, um, I I look at if I'm going to spend money on a movie, I want it to last me a while as far as digging through it. You know, and and the extras, especially on films like this. You know, um, the the extras are are just fantastic. So it gets a high record recommendation for me from me for sure. Oh, thank you very much. All right, Brad. Do you have anything? Uh, 
Anything else for us before we close out? No, I'll just I'm gonna email Pete like a ton of titles now. <laughs> <laughs> just go through. Awesome, Brad's so. Brad's uh, wheels are turning. All right, Pete. Thanks again. Uh, we will definitely have you back on um, when some of these other titles come out for sure. Because I definitely would like to. Uh, I'm definitely gonna be grabbing them and 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 we'll probably have questions. That'd be great. Well, I look forward to. It. We are back after that interview. It's just me and BJ hanging out. Yep, still back, still what's hanging, up? still no Brad. Um, what's funny is in the interview, <laughs> Brad gives me shit for uh, for doing shows with Adam, and he's not here today. He's not here on this part of the show, which is hilarious. So we're going to do our two segments here, and then we will uh, we'll end the show. But first, we're going to jump into a little new segment I've been wanting to do. Uh, with Josh Obershaw. We're going to test this out, see how it goes. We're going to do that right now. All right, well, I've been wanting to do this uh, this little thing for some time, and uh, I know that Josh Obershaw has been hard at work over at thescreamcast.com putting up news and uh, information about releases and, and all that stuff, and I wanted to try to do this little segment where we bring Josh on and he can rattle off some of the, uh, you know, some of the news items of note that uh, that have happened uh, within the week and um, kind of see how this goes. So, Josh, what's up, man? How you doing, Sean? Thanks for having <laughs> me on again. Of course. We're going to see how this goes and, uh, you know, maybe have it be a weekly thing or bi-monthly thing or whatever. So. Um, good. So it's been a, it's been a pretty, 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 I can't even talk, pretty busy week. But um, I'm going to turn yeah. it over to you. What are some of the the, the things that you think uh, our listeners should uh, should be paying attention to? Well, the first thing I want to start off with is an update from Screen Factory regarding a uh, title they announced way back when at San Diego Comic Con last year, and that's 1992's Death Becomes Her. Mm. And this is going to be a this is going to be a collector's edition. Um, it's still coming out on April 26. I know it's been kind of delayed a couple of times, I believe, but it's definitely coming out April 26th, and uh, the update is they've revealed the list of extras, and those include a new Making Of featurette called The Making Of Death Becomes Her. It has interviews with director Robert Zemeckis, uh, the writer David Kep, and director of photography Dean Cundy. There's also a vintage Making Of featurette, featurette along with it, a photo gallery, and an original trailer. And that's pretty much it. That's it, it for the extras. I mean, for, for a collector's edition, it's kind of a little light on the extras. It doesn't even have new key art. Huh. But um, So that's the update on uh, Death Becomes Her. Next, we have from Kino, the taking of Pelham 123. Now, this is the original 1974 film starring Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw. It's coming out as a 42nd anniversary special edition, and there's a lot of features on this one. Nice. You've got... an. You've got a new interview with uh, Hector Elizondo, an interview with composer David David Shire, an interview with editor Jerry Greenberg. There's also a commentary with uh, past Screamcast guest Pat Healy and film story film historian, excuse me, Jim Healy. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I didn't notice that. That's, That's going to awesome. be interesting. Uh, another thing is. 
uh, an animated montage of stills and posters. Now, this is kind of <laughs> not your run of the, not your run of the mill gallery of such things. So that's actually kind of cool. There's going to be a reverse blue reversible Blu-ray art, and that one's coming out July 5th. So take note of that. And um, oh yeah, Friday was a busy one for Arrow. They released uh, they revealed a bunch of Blu-rays that are going to be releasing on both sides of the Atlantic. For the U.S., they're going to be releasing Ray Harryhausen's Special Effects Titan. This is the documentary by Giles Penso. I hope I'm saying that right. It's got a bunch of interviews with Harryhausen himself, Joe Dante, John Landis, some of the big names you can think of. There's a whole list of extras that are going to be attached to this, such as interviews with Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Rick Baker, 12 interview, 12 interview outtakes, a message to Ray, deleted scenes from the movie itself, something called On the Set of Sinbad, which I believe is probably behind-the-scenes stuff. Oh, not the comedian? Uh, a couple, the- uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they, never, they never really specified which Sinbad movie they're right. talking about, the Golden Age of okay. Sinbad or the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. So I guess we'll find out when we see it. That, that, this and, documentary uh, couple- is fantastic. Um, is oh, this, I, I haven't seen the documentary it, yet. It was streaming on Netflix, and I watched it then. I guess they've they've since taken it off Netflix, and I've been I've been wanting to watch oh. this again, and I want to you know I want to collect as many of Harryhausen's films as I can. So it's, it's great that this is coming out, and 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 actually being treated, you know, given a, a treatment, you know, like this is great. Oh sure. Oh yeah, I I grew up with a lot of the movies that Harryhausen has done. I remember seeing the original Clash of the Titans. Oh yeah, at the drive-in when I was like four years old. So yeah, I'm totally stoked with this one. And there's also a Ray Harryhausen trailer reel, which is going to be included oh, okay. on the special features of this one. This is coming out June 28th for those of you who are wanting that one. Also from Arrow, I know a lot of people are really excited about this one. It's Return of the Killer Tomatoes, uh, starring John Ashton and George Clooney, one of his early mm-hmm. roles. So. That's going to be fun to watch. I've never, I've never seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Believe it or it's, not, I've seen bits and pieces. It's one of the. I mean, it's it's not a good movie. I mean, it's not supposed to be, you know. But no. um, I, I remember the the VHS art was always pretty awesome, and uh, and I th- I think I've seen I've seen the first one. I'm waiting for someone to release that one on Blu-ray, but I haven't. I don't know who who has the rights to that one, but um, neither do I. But considering, I mean, if this one does well. Who's to say that Attack of the Killer Tomatoes yeah. might not get a Blu-ray release this year? Yeah. It's only a matter of time. Uh, Wait, features no. on this one. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask I was going to ask you kind of um they're releasing US is just going to be a Blu-ray but they're doing a DVD for UK as well as the Blu-ray. Is yeah, that, it's going to be both blue Yeah, it's going to be both Blu-ray and DVD in the UK only. So we're okay. only getting the blue here in the states. Ah, who cares? Who, uh, and it is a coaster. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, there's going to be uh, it's going to be presented with the original uh, stereo audio. Plus, there's going to be optional English subtitles for the hearing impaired. There's going to be a new commentary with the writer and director John DeBello, a new interview with actor Anthony Stark, an original trailer, reversible sleeve with new art by Matthew Griffin, and a fully illustrated collector's booklet featuring. New writing by critic James Oliver. Nice. And this one is also coming out June 28th, by the way. And next up, from Code Red, this is actually going to be posted on the site uh, probably tomorrow. 
Kingdom of the Spiders, the classic oh, William man. Shatner versus the Army of Spiders movie. So I don't have any information on this other than the fact that it's going to be a brand new HD 2K transfer. So yeah. like I said, it's really, really in the early going. Probably hold on, to your, uh, hold on to your Shout Factory DVDs because that one had a – I think it was Shout Factory, right, that had released it last with yes. a, a ton of special features. Um because I don't think those special features will be making their way over onto Blu-ray if it's code red. I was kind of hoping that Shout Factory would, or Screen Factory would, would be releasing this, but I think, uh, I was talk- talking with Brad earlier today about this, and I think that this is a public domain title. Um, oh, really? So, I think. So, it's kind of like one of those things that's up for grabs. Whoever releases it first, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, it was kind of a shock. But you know, it's kind it's of a to... shock seeing this, uh, seeing Code Red actually um, release this one instead of Shout Factory. I thought yeah. that was really odd. This is, a, this is a big one, which is a shame because sometimes Code Red gets these bigger titles. Like, um, uh, gosh, I'm having a brain, can't think now. Um, oh shoot, it's happened before where they've gotten a big title that everyone wants and then it's just super hard to get. And I, I the movie escapes me right now and it's driving me nuts. And I'm going to remember it at like midnight tonight. But that one should have been, <laughs> had a wide release, you know, and, and it, it didn't. And I'm lucky enough to have, have, have got that one on, on Blu-ray. Oh gosh, what is that Well, film? speaking of, oh, it's going to bug you all oh night, isn't God, it? God, man. Okay. Well, speaking of Code Red, uh, they announced that they're going to be bringing to Blu-ray the 1983 Conan Cash-In Iron Master. And uh, the only news that I have about that is an interview with Umberto Lenzi that's going to be all new. But okay. other than that, there's nothing on the Code Red front. However, five days later, UK's 88 Films announced that they are going to be releasing Iron Master as well. Yeah. That that's a that's a tough one because I've been trying to get verification from 88 films because apparently I mean apparently Code Red is releasing the uncut version um because in the beginning there is a a uh, they kill like a real life boar so it's like so in the UK I think that that was cut so I'm unsure if 88 films is releasing the uncut version or the UK cut version but it's like I. But if it's just for that one scene of them killing a boar, I could really care less. But um, I'm trying to. Yeah, get, that's true. I did. I'm trying to get verification from them. They have been ignoring my tweets, and they've ignored everyone on Facebook who's been asking about it. So I'm 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 guessing oh. that the idiot films might be the cut version. But until we know exactly what's cut, um, like I said, I think that it's just the uh, animal violence, the real life animal violence. Um. You know that's not gonna not gonna make it or break it for me. So, little caveat okay. there. All right, this is a title I haven't seen, so I didn't know what the semantics were about what was going to be left on the cutting room floor. If if it is going to be a cut version, yeah, I mean I haven't seen it either. That's just what I gathered from scrolling through Code Red's post <laughs> <laughs> and through uh, Eighty Eight Films. Yeah. So, but it, it, but they also said that they're going to be 88 films is going to be, they have things on deck that are also code red titles. 
So um, it's going to cause a little bit of of um, competition, I think, even though the 88 Films ones are probably going to be region B locked. There's a lot of UK uh, people in the UK who want some of these Code Red films, but he he personally does not ship overseas. Um, he doesn't deal with that at all. He lets Screen Archives handle that, but he doesn't give all of his films to Screen Archives to distribute. So it's always kind of the thing of contention. But um, I don't know if you guys know this though, but I don't think maybe in the U, maybe it's in a U.S. distributor, but I don't think U.S. distributors can legally ship overseas themselves. Um, it, it must be something in the copyright because I know that Grindhouse releasing uh, sends everyone asking about um, everyone who's overseas asking about buying, like they're trying to buy like the pieces Blu-ray. Um, they send everyone to Diabolic uh, DVD, diabolicdvd.com to handle the international sales. So I think there's something like legit about, you know, companies selling stuff like movies if they have only paid for the US or the American rights, region A rights, that they are not allowed to sell, sell it overseas. But you can get over that with a distributor, like a store. Okay. So, so I that's think how I, the whole import thing works. Yeah, I think it's different, possibly different in the UK because I know the Arrow sends stuff here themselves. So uh, I just think, you know, because that's, that's the thing. People get on Code Red's butt about that and, and kind of bitch and moan about it. But I'm like, I've seen it from other distributors. Their kind of hands are tied the same thing, the, the same way. So I don't know. So, but I think I think uh, some competition to Code Red would be good because uh, some of these titles are either. And it's going to be fun out. to watch. Oh, yeah. It'll be entertaining. Go to the uh, Code Red DVD uh, Facebook group, and uh, you'll you're in you'll be in for some fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, that's all the news I got for this week. Cool, man. But cool, man. so, uh, yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Like a lot, a lot of sorry, <laughs> no, no. Um, so they keep your eyes on the screamcast.com. Josh is. Pretty much posting all the news over there. Um, occasionally, Brad and I will get in on it, but uh, me and my like the three kids and the job and everything, like I, I have a hard time keeping up with the stuff because um, that would mean I would have to use my work computer, which is kind of yeah on some of the stuff. Right, so. I see. Yeah. So I appreciate <laughs> you stepping in and, and helping us out with all this. It's uh, it, it is very much appreciated. So, all right. Well. Um, We'll see how the response goes for this, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back next week. Everyone, let us know what you thought of this little news segment. Give us some feedback, and, uh, you know, I think it's fun. It adds a little bit to the show. We will uh, we'll go from there. It's actually been really fun. All right, Josh. It's been thanks. really fun. Hopefully we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> thanks, Josh, for all you do. Appreciate it. No problem. So now let's jump into our two segments. Let's start off with some stream screams. Nate, wake up! There's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't fucking scream at me! You scream, I'll break your neck. <laughs> Don't scream, miss. Don't scream. <laughs> 
Today we're talking uh, 2009's, uh, I think it was a straight-to-video, The Hills Run Red. It was straight-to-DVD, mm-hmm. and that's a fucking bummer, because it's awesome. It is, uh, directed by Dave Parker, and this is one, like, I I want to say I had, like, a renaissance in uh, horror movies, kind of kind of diving into the deep end and more kind of extreme horror movies. Because up till then, it was I was dabbling in like the eighties, you know, Friday the Thirteenth, and rewatching all those and Nightmare on Elm Street, and kind of starting to get into uh, movies like Demons and, and things like that. And I'd always kind of avoided like the more modern, like uh, torture porn type stuff, and the more yeah. like, the gritty, dark. You know, um, but there was something about the Hills Run Red because that kind of caught my attention. I think it was probably the mask, the the baby mask. And oh, yeah, the baby face mask be- quickly kind of put itself right in place with kind of those famous horror masks. I yeah. mean, even if you haven't seen the film, the Hills Run Red is one of those films that everyone knows what the cover is, which mm-hmm. is so rare to happen anymore. Uh, just given, you know, how there's so many different cover arts based on what's on Redbox or what's on Netflix or what's on the DVD or what's on the Blu-ray. Everything is changing. Um, so you really don't have that kind of staple of VHS. Oh, I remember that cover as a kid or I remember seeing that cover. Hills Run Red, I think, is one of the last ones mm. where everybody remembers that mask and the red background and just its creepy, cracked face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the stories about, I mean, it's, it's, your basic kind of, it's almost like it's a backwoods slasher, but I mean, it's a group of, like, horror fans. But it's a smart backwoods slasher. Right, right. It, it, it's, it's, like, we're here, we're post scream, so the, the, you know, our heroes, our main characters, not necessarily heroes, our main characters, though, are horror fans. They're, they know what to expect. I think one of them, one of them is a filmmaker, right? Um, I don't remember if he's an actual filmmaker or if he's, he's yeah, he's obsessed with, um, the fictional film of the Hills and Red. Right, right, right. That's what it is. Um, he's, he's just fascinated by it and, um, you know, completely obsessed with not, but not just the film. He's also obsessed with the director Mm -hmm. who mysteriously disappeared, um, (laughs) Which I think is also very telling of kind of the the society and the generation that this film was made for because there are so many of us that are obsessed with a specific director. It's yeah. not, oh, I really like horror movies. It's, I really like the films of X, Y, and Z. Um, so, it again, it's a backward slasher, but it's fucking smart. Yes, and in the beginning we're introduced to the actress Sophie Monk. <laughs> you would like her. I, I didn't. I didn't know what to expect with this film, and it started. And luckily, everyone was in bed. But uh, she is a good-looking woman, and I she was not expecting. Uh, She's real cute. See so much of her. And, I mean, you know, that's it. It made an impression. Well, that's what's also fun about it being a slasher is that it's similar to Scream where it, it's paying homage but also writing a love letter to the genre. Mm-hmm. There's so many elements that are very much of kind of that golden slasher age of like, hey, you think this girl's hot? Good news. You're going to see every <laughs> And I, you know, and here I am. I'm sounding like the pig right now, you know, but she's an attractive nah. woman and what are, what are you going to do? You know? You're fine. 
What am I? What am I do? Cover my own eyes? That's it's not exploitation or objectification when people are you know presenting it as such. Like you can't you can't objectify somebody that is you know presenting themselves as an object right. and is proud to do so. Right. It's like the whole beauty pageant thing. You can't objectify a beauty queen because like, oh, it's objectification. No, they have chosen to do this. Right. So there you go. That's that's Thank the you, argument DJ. I always give. You're welcome. <laughs> you're not you're not scum. If you like ah. walk up to her on the street and you're like, oh, you're a hot piece of ass. Yeah, you're a piece of shit. Right. So don't worry about it. Um, But this also stars William Sadler, which I'm always happy to see him in, in films. But um. The other the other actors I'm not sure. I, I don't I don't really recognize do you do you know what other movies that they've they've been in? Which actor? Uh there's Tad Hilgenbrink, Janet Montgomery, and Alex uh Windham are uh, the other main characters in, in the film. It's I mean it's a, it's a small, you know, small lower budget film. So I'm sure I'm sure that. that they've all done things that I've seen. Uh they've just unfortunately not really kind of stuck out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that Tad Hilgenbreck was in, um, oh God, he was in the, uh, da, 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 what is it called? What is it called? Amusement? The, uh, like, that weird amusement park, like, clown killer movie. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's kind of like one of the main dudes in that because um, that that movie's centered mostly around girls, but he's like the dude in that. But I don't think that he's really done anything since The Hills Run Red, like, like anything of merit that is. Um, so I I don't think he's done anything. Um, and then Janet Montgomery, uh, oh God, I I'm not entirely. Oh, she's on Salem. I'm a fucking oh, okay. idiot. Um, yeah, she's on Salem, and uh, she was in uh, the uh, Christmas episode of Black Mirror, and that's all I've got. I'm sure she's done plenty <laughs> other things, but that's all I've got. Everyone else, I I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why we're bringing this up is like this uh, was not uh, was not released in Blu-ray yet, but you can get an HD copy on Vudu. Voodoo.com, or probably any streaming service, you can probably probably find this uh, streaming HD. And it's owned by Warner Brothers, so I don't know if this will ever see a physical release, but uh, you can get it in its HD glory through uh, through these streaming services. So that's why we wanted to bring it up. I know that, um, oh gosh. Well, you can get it on DVD. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as like anything better, probably not for yeah, a while, made, which is a bummer. Never made the jump to Blu-ray. And uh, um, <laughs> Rob, I'm gonna butcher his his last name. He's writing for uh, Bloomhouse right now. Was uh, doing Icons of Fright. Rob G. Rob Galuzzo. Galuzzo, yes. Uh, Sorry, he, I muted myself in the middle of that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> he, he uh, he wrote a great little write up on Bloomhouse.com about films. He has two articles up there right now, but one's foreign films that haven't made it to Blu-ray that should, mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of domestic films that never made it the jump to Blu-ray from DVD that uh, that should. And this was on that list. So um, yeah, it absolutely should. And if uh, anyone out there watched Tales of Halloween, Dave Parker's segment was uh, the opening. 
um, uh, Sweet Tooth. And that was probably oh, one of the okay. best of the whole thing. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're looking for more of uh, his work, you definitely, definitely, definitely want to check it out because it's it's creepy and weird and awesome. And Dave Parker should be getting a million billion dollars to make whatever he wants because he's <laughs> super talented. Oh, that's right. He did uh, that Sweet Tooth one. Mm-hmm. So, like that that anthology opens on a hell of a high note. And yeah. He sets, he sets the bar for that whole movie. I'm trying to remember. Like that, that one had, uh, how many little episodes were in that? 10, like 10. Mm-hmm. I have a list somewhere of my favorite ones, but that, that definitely was, uh, was on there. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, yeah. Hills or not is, is so fantastic. And I think it gets lost because there were so many shitty movies um, that came out kind of in that mm-hmm. early to mid two thousands where just everything was getting dumped on direct to DVD because they're just, that's when the start of not having money for this sort of stuff started to really kick in. Cause that's when piracy really started uh, to rear its head and so many movies just got dumped and this was one that did and it shouldn't have because it's, it's wonderful Let's- and it, it's so much fun and it's, it's a horror fans, horror movie. Yeah. This is where I credit, um, the whole, like horror websites, because I remember at the time I was reading a lot of bloody disgusting and dread central. I think were the two main ones that I was reading, uh, probably the only two that were really of any note at that time. Uh, at least that I knew of. Cause I was kind of like, I was like trying to find everything I could. Like I would go through dread central and just like, Go to reviews and what movies have I missed and just make a list of all the things that had like three and a half or more daggers. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, this this one got talked up quite a bit by by all these websites. So um, I would have never checked it out if it wasn't for, you know, Dread Central, Dread Central or, or Bladed Disgusting for sure. Yeah, no, this was this was definitely one that I think has the following it does based on word of mouth, which kind of goes back to my, you know, my, my talking about it being similar to, you know, finding that gem of the VHS tape. Mm -hmm. I think this was definitely that gem, you know, whereas we don't have video stores anymore, but we do have kind of the fucking landfill of direct to DVD stuff. And this, this is that diamond in the rough. This is the one that you would, you know, scrounge to find the one good thing. Um, and this, this is, this is the one good thing. Um, a lot of, I know a lot of people aren't sure how to take this film cause it is a lot more brutal than you mm-hmm. think it would be. But I just think it's a lot of fun. I think that it's, and ultimately that's what I'm looking for with my horror films now is I'm, I'm really just looking for something that's fun and it's, it's a well-crafted film. It's very, very smart and it's fun. So two thumbs up toots the house down. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is about like it it, cause it does get grisly. It goes dark. Oh yeah. It gets super dark. Um, but I think, yeah, I don't know. Like it's not, uh, it's just, it's just trying to be its own thing and it, it knows what it is and it knows the trope, the tropes that these slasher movies follow. 
Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's done with a cleverness, I think. Even though it takes itself seriously and gets really brutal, um, it's, uh, it's not, I guess, overly trying to play for laughs. It's not, it's, uh, it knows its audience is smart and it knows its audience is well versed in these films, so it doesn't have to try to joke it up, you know, and be, you know, like, uh, try to be an 80s slasher, you know, it's, it's its own thing. You know, I think, uh, a lot of these movies try too hard, I think, to just, you know, ape what's done before. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just something about this one. Like this, did this come out at the same time as uh, as Wolf Creek? Was I don't know if it was. Same time? I don't know if it was the exact same time, but definitely in that sort of same couple of years. Um, yeah. Now there's like all these movies were kind of coming out like they were a slasher, but they were just kind of like just, everyone was just caked in dirt and blood, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, just grimy and, but um, this is one of those movies that I think definitely got it right. And, and uh, yeah, if you haven't Absolutely. seen it, you can you can rent it on on Voodoo.com or I, Wolf Creek came out uh, first. Okay, I I mean I I discovered all these. I started watching all these movies around the same time because I I had always kind of avoided the things things that got too dark and too brutal. Um, mm-hmm. I was more looking for kind of just fun, more like supernatural, you know, like demons and, and stuff like that in eighties. And I'd kind of avoided like the things that I knew were going, you know, just dark and brutal and serious. But, um, yeah, something about this movie just, uh, I, I think it was just, just the, the, it was the right recipe. I think this type of film, mm-hmm. uh, and not only cause of Sophie Monk, <laughs> That was icing on the cake. She she is real cute though. Let's let's be real. But all right, cool. I'm sure uh, if Brad was on, he'd have more to say. But um, yeah, but he not here. <laughs> He'll move on. Let's move on. Are you ready to move on to the next segment here? Yeah. All right. I'm I'm excited to hear you go go <laughs> oh, off God. on this segment. <laughs> oh, God. Nikki. Well, here we are at last. Earlier in the week, Brad and I were trying to figure out what movies we're going to cover for these segments, and he gave me a list, and I just, you know, picked from the list. And the movie that I picked is a 1990 trauma film called Crystal Force. And, uh, and just before, you know, before he turned us down to come on the show tonight, uh, he texted <laughs> he me saying, turn us down. That's, that's you know, before he decided to just not want to be on the show with us and go <laughs> hang out with his lady friend, uh, as he should have. But he, he said that this technically shouldn't be in the VHS. Oh my God. segment because technically it's on DVD. So, uh, after I told him I hated him. Because <laughs> I watched this film already, uh, I did some digging around, and it, true, Troma is releasing this as a kind of uh, burn-on-demand service. So if you buy this from Amazon, they will burn you a DVD-R of the VHS transfer, basically, and it's the transfer that they're actually showing on their own YouTube website. So you can watch this for free on YouTube uh, on Troma's channel. So and I'm like, ah, technically. Yeah, technically it's on DVD, but you know it's it's not a better transfer than you you know 
than you'll get from VHS. So yeah. I think with all those caveats, 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 there you uh, go. <laughs> you can read. I, third I time's in you. a charm. Uh, this, uh, we'll make, we'll give this one a pass. So crystal force, here we go. 1990, um, directed Ooh. by Laura Keats, a woman. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly enough, cause there's a lot of TNA in this one. Um, I don't know if I really know the plot. I don't know. Like a woman finds a crystal or is given a crystal by this mustache guy walking dogs. He's the master of the crystal. The master of the crystal. Uh, and all hell breaks loose in the, in the last 15 minutes. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> but it's so, <laughs> um, it opens up like, I don't know, like there's, there's a funeral, so someone has died. And our main character, I just had a hard, hard time following this film. Um, there's not much to follow. If I'm going to be completely honest with right. you, so don't feel bad. Um, I think the the problem with a film like Crystal Force is that it is being you know created by by trauma, and we have this weird love and affinity for trauma because it's they're a little schlocky, they're kind of shitty, and everyone's like, oh well, that's just the style. Is mm-hmm. that's the trauma style. And because of that, people make excuses for the films that legitimately just aren't fucking any good. <laughs> and Crystal Force is one of those films. Like Toxic Avenger, kind of cheese ball. Return to Newcomb High, total cheese ball. But yeah. they're fun. They're still really fun. Crystal Force is a hot fucking mess, but we give it a pass because oh well it's a trauma film you just you have to get trauma films no i get trauma films i understand trauma films this is just a shitty movie that's just that's my question is was this made by trauma or was this released by them i think it was released by trauma right so there's like Um, a slight difference because the trauma movies like toxic avenger those things are bad shit crazy yeah, those are one thousand percent like Lloyd Kaufman right trauma films. Right, this this is something I I want to say they just released, but it doesn't matter. Like the second you get that like trauma bumper, everyone suddenly is like, oh, we can forgive every shitty thing about it because it's a trauma <laughs> film. It's like no, 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 you cannot. Um, I mean, not a whole hell of a lot happens really for the first hour. I think. Yeah, um, and this this movie is like not even ninety. It's minutes. an hour twenty minutes. <laughs> Um, so the first hour is very slow going. You get some TNA going. For some reason, she's having a dream or whatever. She ends up naked in a room with uh, two other people having sex. Because why not? I don't don't know, but it's there. Um, and then you get the girls getting together to do a seance with this crystal. And, and a f- few things happen. You know, a pentagram gets projected <laughs> under the wall. Mm-hmm. Some goofy stuff happens. You have this uh, this mustachioed, uh, you know, keeper of the crystal. What's his name? It's not Beelzebub, but it's like Beezle. It's something, yeah, Beezle. It's something similarly as stupid. Um, he's kind of in the lurking in the background, kind of giggling and monologuing to himself. Uh, but then in, within the last twenty minutes, the uh, the demon or whatever is summoned from the pentagram. And some things go down, 
and it is not very well shot. Nope. uh, (laughs) And it's not even cheesy in, like, a fun ridiculousness. It's just (laughs) bad. There's, uh, I mean, I'm I'm lost on who all the main characters are. I'm like, like Brad says, I'm horrible at retelling movies, and I apologize. But the main guy character, um, he, is it Sparky? Is that him? Or is it Jack? Is it Sparky? Risky. Risky. There's Risky and Jack. I don't know who the main character was. Anyway, he, he... all the girls get attacked by this thing. They all move out in front of the house. The police are called. Um, he says something like, uh, call for backup <laughs> to the girls. And then he runs inside the house. And I swear it takes, he's look and it's dark. Like it's not even lit. And he's looking through like the cabinets and cupboards, but you can't see anything. And I swear it goes on for like two minutes of just him stumbling in the dark and not finding what he's looking for. It's like I I paused it and went and did something and came back to finish watching it and he was still looking through the cabinet so it felt like it was 10 minutes. It probably was 10 minutes. <laughs> they probably were like, how can we stretch this hour movie into an actual feature film? Uh, it's pretty bad. I mean, the only thing really going for it is uh, is the cover art is pretty fantastic. It um, is really cool. You know that this film has a sequel? I, I just saw that. I'm I'm never going to watch it because I have better things to do What's with my called? life. Crystal Force Two: Dark Angel. Of because we is. couldn't think of another, if anything less. Because it's 1994, generic. and that's <laughs> what we had to do. If it sounds like it could be a screen name, we're using it. Oh man. Um. Anyway, I I, I posted that I was watching this on one of the uh, Facebook forums. Uh, and Facebook groups, or whatever, and somebody was like, "Oh, I remember that when I was a kid. It, does it hold up?" You know, and I was like, "No, no, this thing is not good at all." So if you want to brave this thing, it's on YouTube, Troma's channel. It's legit YouTube. I mean, that that's kind of cool. I think. Yeah, because it's got like the commercial breaks in it, and I, I didn't see any commercial breaks. What? Mine has commercial breaks. Really? Like or like ad breaks, I should say. Mine never like had any ads. YouTube ad breaks. I was watching it on my phone. Jealous. Oh, maybe that might be why. Because I was like, uh, why project this to my... I mean, actually, for I watched half of it projected to my TV, which is this cool thing in the YouTube app where it's like, if you have a compatible Blu-ray player, you mm-hmm. just press the thing and all of a sudden it shows up on your TV, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I use my Chromecast for that, which is yeah. pretty sweet. Um, so that's cool. But then after I was watching it on the big screen, I was like, yeah, I don't really have to. So I kind of was have it on while I was, like, washing dishes. Well, I mean, there's only one way to watch a movie that has a rotating pentagram projection on the wall. (laughs) And doing chores is probably the best. Well, it just wasn't going anywhere. Normally, I like to sit down without distractions. But uh, by 30 minutes in, I knew this wasn't going to go anywhere for a while. I kind of, if you've seen enough of these movies, you know that, okay, they're going to get batshit in the last 10 to 15 minutes. So let me kind of write it out till then, and um, the and sometimes it's worth the wait. In this case, I mean, there's a few giggles, but um, you know, it's a it's a movie, folks. Yep, it wasn't as amazing as I <laughs> wanted it to be. Just say that. I don't I don't know why he recommended that. <laughs> Usually he recommends something well, I, that I, is we're going to love. So part of me thinks that maybe he secretly loves it 
but he's not here to defend it, so we're going to shit on it. Sorry about Basically, it. that's what we'll assume is Brad adores this film. Um, well, I guarantee you he saw it when he was like 13. Yeah, you heard it here fo- first, and, guys. Uh, uh, Brad Henderson loves Crystal Force. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask him about it next week. All right. Um, that's all we got to say about that, right? Yep, I have nothing more. All right. <laughs> Finally, um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about, since you know we've gotten kind of, you know, talked about social issues these past couple weeks, why stop now? <laughs> um, the Wachowskis are now the Wachowski sisters, which I am so happy about. I, I was I was shocked. I think I, most of the time you can kind of see that kind of thing coming. But in this case, like for me, it was it was a huge surprise. Should I, I should it not have been? Um, I don't think that. I think the reason that it's such a surprise to so many people is because the likelihood of somebody being transgender in the first place isn't you know quite that high. Uh-huh. Um, so the fact that it's you know not only within the same family but also siblings. Um, is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I think that that just kind of further proves the point that you're born that way and it's not a choice and people are stupid if they think it is. Um, <laughs> but I think the the real telling thing about it as well is that Lily had not planned on going public with this quite yet. Right. But was kind of forced to because uh, the media of the Daily Mail, who they're just the fucking worst um the daily mail was essentially going to out her and i think that that's kind of deplorable that we still live in an age where you can have that kind of power over somebody's personal life where outing is still a thing uh that's i really hate that i think that it's disgusting um but i am (laughs) super excited that now i can officially determine you know who in my life is a garbage person because I would, exactly. I would constantly correct people who would refer to the Wachowskis as like the Wachowski brothers still, which I understand when Matrix came out, that's what they were credited as. I, I get that. But because, you know, Lana has, has been given so many awards, um, you know, for her, her, her trans visibility within the public eye, there's just no excuse for people to have ever yeah. referred to them as brothers. I think that is so disrespectful. Um, and now that Lily is also out, it's deplorable <laughs> when people are still calling them the Wachowski brothers. It's so insulting yeah. and gross. Um, well, now so, you can say sisters if you want to keep right, to yeah, saying exactly. that. Exactly. And now there's um, there's no there's no excuse to you know slip that up. But I think that it's it, it's it's extremely important because the likelihood that we have people that are on any sort of, you know, queer spectrum and making huge big budget movies just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and if they do, it's never really talked about, but now we have, you know, these, these siblings who created one of the most successful film franchises in, of all time. And they are transgender and that's, unbelievable to me. I I think that high profile. Yeah, it's high profile, but it's also so very, very important because there is such a stigma attached to people 
who are transgender or fall somewhere within kind of the queer spectrum. Um, and it just goes to prove that it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. It really doesn't. It doesn't change your work ethic or your skill or your talent or your intellect right. or any of these things. And the Wachowski sisters are living proof of that. And I am so happy that, you know, now they can finally be who they always have been the way they would have loved to have always been. And I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, what comes from them. I mean, I don't know if you watched sense eight at all. Um, I started, I started watching, watching it. it. Yeah, I didn't, I haven't finished it yet. And I think that they're already just creating, especially ever since Lana, uh, you know, tr- transitioned. Um, it seems that their work started to become a little bit more, you know, socially conscious and progressive And that's exciting to me because that makes me think that we're going to finally get these stories from different viewpoints that we haven't been getting. I mean, I'm I'm sure that there are plenty of interesting stories that still have yet to be told by straight cis white men. I'm pretty sure that there's (laughs) probably a couple more we haven't heard. But the idea that, you know, not only do we have trans creators, but siblings that are trans that are going to be telling stories is so fucking cool to me. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm pumped about it. I think that it's, it's a great day for not only female filmmakers, but you know, trans filmmakers and genre films as a whole, because I think that the high profile announcement of this is going to make, you know, hopefully, I mean, in a perfect world, um, will hopefully make it easier for those that aren't cis white straight men yeah. to, you know, get work, you know? Yeah. And, so. and, and, and well, the, and you don't have to be like, um, leaning socially, like in your, in your work. Cause a lot of people think like, oh, they're trans, tra- they're transgender. So now they're just gonna make a bunch of transgender movies, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's just not but true. They're filmmakers and storytellers first and foremost, and nothing's going to change. I thought it was interesting how, um, is it, is it Lana? Lana. Lana. Um, Mm -hmm. she got a transition like under the radar. I remember I didn't really pay any attention. Yeah. Yeah, Lana, they, well, what happened is they like kind of fell off the planet for a little bit and nobody really knew what was going on with the Wachowskis. And then Lana became this kind of public figure. Um, you know, she reintroduced herself, which was, you know, fantastic. And then they started creating again, but we didn't really see a lot of Lily. We saw a lot of Lana. Lana became very visible. Uh Um, you know, she spoke at the, like the glad awards and all sorts of stuff and, you know, kind of became this social figure, but Lily kind of fell to the wayside and nobody really saw much of her. And now we know why, um, because for a while I thought it was just because, you know, Lana had, you know, come out as transgender and that was, we're we're finally becoming a bit more progressive and that we accept and are more understanding when this happens. And it's not like your life is over, your career has ended. That just, I mean, to some extent that obviously that's going to happen, um, People are shitty no matter what. <laughs> no matter how you slice it, people are shitty. Um, but it's not nearly as problematic as it used to be. Um, it's still 
definitely got a lot of ways to go, but it's not, you know, an end of the world sort of situation. Yeah. But I figured, you know, Lana's in the public. So yeah, nobody really wants to talk to, you know, what, who at the time would have been, I believe Andy, Andy. Um, nobody really cares because, you know, it's just another straight white dude. Nobody cares. (laughs) But now we know the real reason that we, you know, weren't seeing much of, you know, who would have been Andy, was because, you know, Lily. And yeah. I think that that's, I think, I think that it's very cool that both of them were kind of able to transition on their own terms and out of the limelight because it, that's a crazy enough process to be, you know, to begin with, but then to add the fact that these are such well-known figures. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, fucking God bless Caitlyn Jenner. I could not do that. I could not, (laughs) you know, document every moment of, you know, something like that. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to do to come out like that. Um, especially given the fact that, you know, some, there's going to be the people that are going to say shitty things because, you know, Lana came out first and it's going to be obnoxious because people are just so ignorant on the topic. But Lily seems to be very happy and you know the 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 photo she posted she looks so genuinely happy and then you compare that to oh, yeah. the photos of the the Wachowski sisters pre-transition and it is like night and day there is so much joy and life and happiness in their faces and you know anybody can see that just by looking looking at photos of them so yeah. anyone who wants to say that it's not real you know they can they can suck eggs it's like, because- but, but, but we're you know we're we're, we're humans. We can, uh, we're kind of masters of our own, our own destiny. So it's mm-hmm. like, if, if that's what makes you happy and you're not hurting anyone else, why the hell not? Just, just, right. Yeah. You know, um, what I was saying about Lana was it was, it was, I had no idea cause I was just, you know, I just didn't know where the Wachowskis had been. And I saw that documentary or them talking about cloud Atlas and I was like, Oh shit. Um, one of them's a woman now. Okay. You know, it was just like, and I think that's what Lily wanted to do, but these shitty, you know, press always thinks that they have to, you know, get these scoops out, you know, for just to sell or to get, get clicks now, right? Because that's all everyone's after right now is clicks. Um, and to get a scoop of of Lily, you know, um, Daily and, Mail is just they're so scummy. Yeah. I everything they do just makes me mad because I don't know why we haven't resorted to just treating them like the tabloid trash that they are, but for whatever reason people still consider them to be like a respectable source of news and they're just they're the most disrespectful huh. people. Um yeah, it's it's gross. I mean, ugh, it is <laughs> I get so like knee-jerky pissed off whenever I hear about media outlets that try to do shit like this because it's, it's, it's blackmail. Yeah. Cut and cut and dry. It's fucking blackmail. And you can call you're, it freedom of the press, right to free speech, whatever you want. It's blackmail. You're messing with people. In this case, you're messing with people's lives and you know, it's just, uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it does, you know, because that's all, you know, any news outlet wants to get, their attention but you know to mess with somebody's life like that to force them basically to come out um mm-hmm. 
in in something that they were going to in their own way let the world know because they're filmmakers we're gonna find out um one way or another but i think you know but i think they handle it they handle it well and um you know what lily wrote was great and oh it was fantastic and i also think that's what's even better about the wachowski sisters is that you know i don't i don't really believe in you know pinning people against each other and you know tearing down one person to make another person look better it's not really my style but the obvious comparisons are you know the wachowskis and caitlin jenner mm-hmm. because of you know just people that were high profile pre-transition um and the wachowskis are just so aware of not only their privilege in being, you know, wealthy and having a supportive family and still trying to remind the public that, you know, their stories are not, you know, typical and that the amount of people that are trans and are coming out or transitioning, it's a very difficult process. And a lot of times they don't have that support system. They yeah. don't have people to back them up. I mean, the the crime rates for trans women is out of fucking control. Mm. Like one in 12 trans women is going to be, you know, brutalized at some point in their life. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they, they, they take, you know, take it to heart how important it is for them to kind of be these pillars um, for the trans community, I think is, is wonderful because they understand, you know, kind of the, with great power comes great responsibility sort of thing. And it just, they're the, they're the best people. Like I love, I love, I love hearing them. uh, I am so ride or die for them. I've been, you know, a big Wachowski fan since day one. I'm just excited to see, you know, where their art is going to go now that they're not going to be feeling so quite so conflicted yeah i mean maybe that's part of it i mean people shit on you know jupiter ascending um quite a bit and it's a goofball movie but i i think that's kind of what they were trying to do uh, Mm -hmm. just make this space opera goofy space opera but but movies like when i saw cloud um Cloud cloud atlas cloud nine uh cloud atlas like to me like you know people will nitpick things to death um, but to me, there's something about that film that's so honest and just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I adore that movie and it had a huge kind of effect on me because I can tell that they were telling a story from their heart, like no matter them. And then uh, with the director of, uh, of run Lola run, his name escapes me right now, but like them together, like that was something amazing and it didn't really get the respect it deserved. So I'm hoping, you know, that with their kind of newfound, like them being comfortable in their own skins now. Um, and it'll give them the kind of um, maybe empowerment or the, you know, um, I don't know, the, the creative juices flowing again to make something as affecting, I think as cloud Atlas, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, studio, they're, they're a studio, they're studio directors, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's amazing that cloud Atlas even got made. So, Hopefully, I would love uh, to see what they would do with like a Marvel property. Yeah, I would love that because it would be totally fucking weird. And <laughs> I would love it. Give them, give them something weird to do. Yeah, <laughs> give them some weird stuff, and they'll 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 deliver. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. 
I think so. Um, I want to make sure you guys all um, check out our sponsors. Go to thescreamcast.com slash sponsors and give them some love. I mean, we, we have people asking how they can support the show and what they can do. I mean, all we really say is please go check out our sponsors. We have some new ones that we're working with um, that we can't really announce yet, but we're working on a few others. But uh, check out Coffee Shop of Horrors. You can always use the code SCREAMCAST for 10% off your order. Uh, GrindhouseVideo.com, of course, uh, we took off the, the coupon code. Um, just because I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's a small, you know, business, and I, it was like right now we need we want to make sure he's making all the profits he can to survive yeah um that really wasn't the right thing i think for for their situation but please go to grindhousevideo.com his prices are reasonable um and know that you're supporting you know uh you're supporting supporting an independent independent store rather than amazon and um i think that means a lot but he is going to be getting involved in some of the drawings he will have some giveaway stuff, so that's how that's the I, the role that he'll be taking in uh, with the sponsorship. But um, but good stuff. I think they have a decent price on a lizard in woman uh, a lizard in a woman's skin. Um, I, at the last time I checked, it was like nineteen ninety five, which at the time was the the best price around because there was a, some short supply and some not all the the websites had got restocked. Um, and Amazon was up to like 30 bucks. So check that out. He'll have some good prices there. He also, I believe he has some left, but he has, uh, uh, a grindhouse releasing pieces. And I think, don't quote me on that, but I think they're the ones, uh, with the puzzle in there. So very cool. Um, and of course, Wolfmen of Mars continue to keep turning out music. So go to bandcamp.com slash Wolfmen of Mars. Oh, no, wait, it's Wolfmen of Mars dot bandcamp.com and uh, buy up all their music. They're also available on, um, if you do streaming, on iTunes Music, I believe, and on Spotify. And, of course, inkspatters.com. Uh, give Kevin Spencer some love. He did all the, uh, he d- designed the logos for the site, and uh, he's starting to jump back into more artwork. So so definitely um, check out his artwork and uh, buy some of his prints and some of his T-shirts. And that's how you can support us. We're going to try to do a Patreon, I think, because as a website now that we have some writers, I do want to at least pay the writers and get some money to pay them for what they do. I can care less about making any money. Um, Brad and I are on the same boat. I'm sure BJ, you are too. Yeah, but, absolutely. <laughs> uh, if we're going to be turning out content on the website, I want to at least be paying our contributors what they deserve for the for their contributions. So um, next few weeks, I'm sorting things out. I'm kind of trying to budget it out and see how much we should be pulling in per month to at least be fair to everybody. Um, but keep an eye out for that. So if you want to support the show that way, support um, the content on the site, that'd be a great way to do it. Um, God, my dog is freaking out right now. I was going to ask what was going on. She wants out. Bailey, what are you doing? Who's here? What's going on? Who's here? <laughs> Uh, I thought I was going to get a bark out of her. Anyway, she so... She candy when she shits. <laughs> um, uh, over at thescreamcast.com, there's all of our social media links. Follow us on there, and I'll, I'll be... Once I get everything settled, be tweeting out the Patreon stuff. I want to kind of dial it in and get it right, 
And that's a way you can help support the show. So, uh, we're not doing, we have never done this to make this a job or, or make money or anything like that. But if we can cover, you know, content on the site and then eventually cover some of the incurring costs, um, that I pay out of my pocket to keep this running and everything, you know, that's, that's, that's fair, right? I think, but all that's down the line. I'm not going to force the issue at all on that. I just want to pay the writers. Yeah. All right, and with that, we'll talk to all of you guys next week. Be patient with us this month. I am going to Hawaii the last week of the month. I hate you so, so much. So uh, we're going to try to get a couple extra episodes out. I don't know. Brad's going to be going to South by Southwest, so I think we're going to have a South by Southwest roundup and then an Arrow episode on the next I'm two. I'm just going to do a one-woman show. And then BG will do a one-woman <laughs> show. That's what we got working. Uh, we'll talk to all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.